and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you for joining me, your host, Liam Edwards, for the 54th episode of the show, as we prepare once again to send another somehow willing games industry member to the deserted realms of Final Games. Joining me this week in the role of said games industry member is a game designer who, whilst working at Blitz Game Studio as a designer, developed a Flash game. After receiving an overwhelming amount of plays on the Flash game, my guest then sought to work some more on the game and release it as a full title. After leaving Blitz Games, my uh, my guest worked alongside Bossa Studios as a game design lead to release the final version of his Flash game, the indie smash hit Thomas Was Alone. Released in June of 2012, it's safe to say that Thomas Was Alone has been an incredible success for my guest, having been praised by critics at the time of release, many commenting on the game's incredible narrative. Thomas Was Alone went on to receive two nominations and win a BAFTA at the British Academy Games Awards in 2012. My guest then left Boston Studios in 2013 to focus completely on indie game development. And it was between leaving Boston Studios and August 2015 when my guest worked on his next title, the Metal Gear-inspired stealth-based game, Volume. Just like Thomas Was Alone, Volume was praised by critics on release. I'm incredibly excited to say that the designer and lead on both games joining me this week is indie darling, Mr. Mike Bithell. Hello, Mike. Don't call me darling. No, I like that. <laughs> I like indie darling. Indie I, I, darling. Is that okay? About a week I was indie king. The team indie loves king. That. I get like the yeah, I get the piss taken out of me regularly for the yeah, I like that. <laughs> darling. I like that. It's nice. It's it's nice and cute, isn't it? Like uh It, it makes me it makes me sound lovable. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Which uh, from the the time we've been speaking before the podcast, Mike, I will admit is uh, very true. I oh, think, that's very kind I of think you. I think um, you're quite the darling. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be an amazing podcast. I'm excited. I'm strapped in. Let's, let's do strapped this. Strapped in. Cool. Yes. So, Mike, Mr. Mike Bithell, you are here with me chatting about video games. Um, but first, mm. how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we, yeah, I had a very busy weekend um, <laughs> and bank holiday. Um, <laughs> I, I worked too hard this weekend. Um, also played a lot of VR this weekend. I finally VR. like um, actually played on the play- PSVR. We made um, we made like a, a version of volume for PSVR. So obviously, like for the months preceding the launch of the PSVR, I was playing a lot of PSVR, just playing yeah. my game over and over and over. <laughs> um, and one of the weird things when you make launch titles is you then often are so sick <laughs> of the platform by the time it actually comes out that you never touch anything. So I had my kind of my consumer PSVR just sat in its box since launch. Yeah. And yeah, this weekend just like unboxed that. Cracked it out. And, and tried all the other people's games, which I like a lot more than my games. That's great. That was a lot of fun. That was, How does uh, it... How does it compare having worked on your game and your perception of VR and trying to figure out how mm. you're going to do it for you? And then you're like, you play someone else's games and you're like, oh, fuck, we need to go back. There's things we need to change. There's things <laughs> we need to do. To remake the game. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's it's cool. It's also, I mean, and this is maybe, this is more, <laughs> this, isn't the, this is maybe a bit more cynical, but it's lovely seeing people who had the same problems we did. Okay. That's so good. seeing like technical glitching in other people's yeah. games where like you know something things like controller tracking is really tricky um especially you know on console getting the so when you're seeing the virtual dual shock making that match up what's on screen yeah and we fought that for months and finally i'm pretty happy with how the game does it in the in the final thing yeah but then loading up other people's games and they have exactly the same glitch i'm like i recognize that <laughs> That wasn't just us. We weren't just, the only people who had that problem. Like open up an email and then it'd be like, guys, 
I know it's how fine. you're feeling. It's fine. We had the same thing. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Because often you're not talking. Because so um, like you know, there are there are kinds of development where you do talk a lot. Um, yeah. And you talk to other developers and you run stuff by them and you see how things are going. But again, around around hardware launches, obviously, obviously there's a lot of secrecy and a lot of kind of yeah. privacy, especially oh, yeah, with the PSVR. Absolutely. There were yeah. lots of. There are lots of rumors that I was seeing bouncing around the Twitter sphere where you're like, that's definitely not true, but you can't yeah. say anything because obviously you've signed a million NDAs um, and every other developer has. So sometimes communication can get a little stifled. You still chat to like good friends, but you yeah. often don't get the same kind of scale of communication. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's reassuring when you see those bugs, but I really like it. I like the PSVR. I like, I like all the VR platforms, but PSVR just... It just works really quickly. That was the thing that got me was just plugging it in. It just kind of I didn't have to reinstall that five kind of, drivers to get it running. That kind of consumer based easiness where it might not be the highest it's quality that console what thing, you're gonna right? get, but it's yeah. uh, uh I mean it's got a lot of cables with it, but essentially it is just plug in and play. It isn't like yeah. clear your it's room a lot out of for the cables. Vibe. Say again. It's a lot of cables. It's a lot uh, of cables. <laughs> for, fortunately, fortunately, yeah. I mean because I obviously because I've use the dev kit the dev kit was basically the same but just uglier so like yeah. you could just kind of you, you, you knew where the cables went um but yeah it well was fun. so we were going back to you were busy over the weekend the one thing i've heard a lot about you mike is you are you work mm. very hard i do work. that's very kind of you to say that's i've very, heard yeah because i'm not very good that's the thing i have to work twice as hard because i'm about half as good and it's genuinely <laughs> true like this is sounds like false modesty but i am definitely not like at the same level as my peers what do you mean um, by that though what do you mean in terms of like i'm I, i'm a slow programmer i have to redraft scripts twice as much as everyone else i just work i just i just it takes me about twice as long to do anything um that's why i don't do game jams actually genuinely is game With, jams too stressful. fast enough uh, i just i can't produce enough in 24 hours um, every time I've done a game jam after the after the time's up, I've had like, yeah, if you you can use Wasad to move the character around the screen, and it's really great. It feels really good. I think but it's I, a combination. So, <clears throat> sorry, go on. But I heard, and yeah. this uh, going back, we were talking about factual inaccuracies before we started the show. Um, yeah, what I heard that you made Thomas was alone in twenty four hours. Like the the original Flash. Game. I did, but I don't, the, so the original. Have you played the original Flash game? No, I haven't played the original Flash it game. No, sucks. It's really <laughs> bad. Like I I look back at it, and I don't know how because it did get some like as you said in the intro, it got some 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 good reputation yeah. out of it. Yes. Um, no, it, it took me three years to make Thomas was alone good, and if you've played the final Thomas was alone, yeah. It, it is rectangles you know what i mean like it's not <laughs> you know so i, I think there is I, yeah I, it, it takes me a while to get there um and i think there's two reasons i think a i'm not as good a programmer as i'm, I'm kind of i am the jack of all trades so i'm okay. master of none right it's the yeah. second part yeah. of that like I'm, i know that feeling. i can do a bit of everything yeah I can do a bit of everything but i'm not gonna be as good as a specialist and the other thing is that i also obsess over details so it takes me longer because I want the jump in Thomas Was Alone to just feel like the best jump I've ever seen in a 2D platform. I don't think I quite managed it, but by being obsessed with it, I think yeah. it's a lot better than it would be if I hadn't been. It's um, very good. Feels that's very, very kind. It's so, very kind. Thank you. You obviously work hard and you, um, as you said, you're sort of um, um, not a master, but a, a jack of all trades then. Um, a designer, mm -hmm. we'll say. A designer of many formats, yeah. writing, programming, just all kind of stuff um but let's everything talk a i bit. have to do yeah everything you have to do um so let's talk a little bit then how you sort of started in the games industry then what is what was your initial background where did you come from and then how did you sort of mm. break into 
being the 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 indie darling that you are now. The indie darling, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna make a badge. I'm gonna get a badge made. Um, that's there you go. That's the difference. That's how I've changed. My initial thought was I'm gonna make that badge. My second thought was oh, I'll get someone to make that badge. That's 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 me becoming a horrible person every time. Um, what did I start? So I I had um I did have access to computers as a kid, which is you know something that's amazingly cool privilege. And I was I was born in 1985, so like when I was a kid, kind of six or seven years old. A computer in the home was something that, like, was frankly rich kids had that. Yeah. Most people didn't. I had it because my dad worked in IT. Um, and it's funny, I look back and I remember, like, going like going on trips to his office at the weekend to yeah. go and pick up hot, uh, computers for home use. And I look back at it now and I'm almost certain we were we were stealing them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, enough times probably passed, but, like, they were definitely, like loading a computer or a printer into our car and then that was our computer in and the dead t- of as night as a kid it, was, it wasn't in the dead of night but it was when no one else was there and as a kid I was like oh this is cool that his, his work gives him computers to use at home yeah. or for me to use that thing um, that no one else has my dad has like four of them in the house and we yeah, took them like and no one was fine, watching right? <laughs> so that was the, so so we were so we'd steal computers <laughs> <laughs> and I would I, I would play with them and, and my dad worked uh, he was a he was a um, a coder an IT manager uh, kind of combination of, back then you were a coder if you used computers yeah and he would teach and he taught me uh, basic when I was very young um, and I I started just playing with that stuff um, I also was really into the 3D art scene you know very early on making kind of rudimentary using something called True Space which no one remembers that was a uh, 3D rendering software before Maya and 3D Studio Max just took over. Okay, the, so the, the sort of smaller or, ones. Yeah, sort of the very so, so I play with basics of those. The very early stuff, and and it was fun to play with, and I I I I loved them. I was very lucky, and I had a, a teacher in school who would allow me instead of writing essays to make adventure games. So like we'd be we'd, we'd be which was really cool, and she was like, I mean, she back then she must have been in her sixties back then, right? So she would, um, she, and she didn't really understand computers, but she basically would, sorry, someone's doing something outside my window, it's very <laughs> it's <okay>. loud. Um, <laughs> and she would, uh, she would, uh, she would set, you know, the class to do an essay about what it was like to live in a feudal village in, in, in medieval times. And, for, and I would ask her, like, can I make an adventure game about that? And as long as I hit all the subjects, she'd walk up with me to like the computer's IT room and sit and watch, you know, handbag on lap. Wow. As I played through the adventure game to show her, look, look, there's the bit where I mentioned, like, how the farmers had a bad time, and there's the bit how I mentioned where, like, all, and I would just, it'd be a little adventure game, like a little 15-minute kind of walk-around, talk-to-people game. Um, And and I'd get the grade. And and it was, she kind of allowed me to do that, and as a kid, I just kind of realised, no, I want to make these things. I don't fully understand how they're made, but I I Mm. want to work in these. Yeah. Um, and back then there was no kind of qualifications in it so I kind of at like AS and A level I just started doing things I thought were relevant so I did like psychology photography 
theater studies, film studies, 3D design. Like I tried to create a kind of video game curriculum for myself because I didn't because there was no um, specific and because I was quite good at coding already. I didn't do computer science. I was gonna, I was going to say the the one that I would think that would be the most important. That'd be pretty obvious, now, right? Would be pretty obvious. It was the computer I, science. I part. think that would be pretty useful going back. Um, the amount of time I spend on GCSE bite size doing rud- learning rudimentary maths because I missed out on it in school. Um, that was the other thing because I was the nerd computer kid <laughs> genuinely in my primary school um they hadn't they had computers they had a couple of macs and a, yeah and a, a couple of bbc micros um and they would um they had no one on staff who could use them so i be, i was basically in primary school at the age of 12 i was the it guy at my school and they would take <laughs> me out of classes and it comes up every now and again in adult life where i'll be sitting down the pub and like someone will mention like primary school level thing right something that you learned when you were 10 yeah and i'll never have heard of it because that must have been one of the days where they took me out of class to go and fix a computer um so so i've got this really weird like really weird holes and gaps in my education that i'm i still every now and again just find out like i was clearly just being i was fixing a computer when that class was on that is Um, weird it is weird right like i they i mean life worked out in the end but yeah i missed out lumps of my education (laughs) um (laughs) and then yeah basically um went to university got a game design degree was one of the first in the country to do that um one of the first courses to do that yeah um and then i was really lucky i got into blitz kind of straight out of uni because and got a job specifically as a designer most people start off as qa and kind of i was gonna say yeah um because i was really lucky i mean you're only 85 so you're only five years older than i am um and you know going back to the the timeline of you starting blitz was going on 10 years ago getting on yeah yeah i was 20 uh, 21 when so I got to job, be yeah. design going in straight a designer at that level at that time it's quite incredible i was really lucky and, and i think it was luck i think the, the it was a time in the british industry where there was a lot of growth uh, in the game side it was about two years before canada introduced tax credits and sucked the life out of the british games industry um at that point basically british people were cheap americans that was what we were on the world stage like you'd, you'd hire a british dev studio to make a licensed game based on your movie that was coming out yeah and you know the british people watch american movies they know who the movie stars are they know how traffic lights in america look you know all of that stuff so you could kind of outsource it to them and they'd be cheaper and less unionized than the local american <laughs> development studios um and that was the case for like that for almost for about kind of a five-year period it was a big boom and I came in right at that moment, so that meant that I got a job very easily. Um, yeah. So what is some straight of the, after that kind of what was some down. of the what was some of the sort of IPs you were working on? The, um, SpongeBob. Like, I was gonna literally um, that was the yes, first words that were coming out of SpongeBob. My everyone e- worked on SpongeBob. Everyone worked on a SpongeBob game at some point. Everyone worked on SpongeBob game. There's so many of them back then. Um, I worked on. Do you remember Tack? It was a platforming franchise about a tribal kid. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 And it's a game that could not be made or brought out now without like a million think pieces at launch day. Like it's a, it's a, it was a very tribal tattoos kind of game. He was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's not, it's not aged well. We'll put it that way. (laughs) Um, So I worked on that for a bit. I worked on another game called um, Handao, which was a Kung Fu game. Um, I worked on Dead to Rights, which was the one with a dog. Dead to Rights, you know, the yep. Dead to Rights I worked on for a bit. Uh, what else did I work on? 
I'm uh, iCarly for Nickelodeon. Do you remember iCarly? The one with the it, um, the girl from Drake and Josh. Is that the the correct one? With Michelle. I, you seem to be more Miranda, of a Nickelodeon Miranda, connoisseur than me. Miranda it was the YouTuber Miranda something. Was she yeah. was a girl from? Um, I think she was in School of Rock as well, right? Like the yes. Jack Black movie. Yeah, I think um, so. I think we're. Yeah. yeah, so that was a show, actually, weirdly, which was really ahead of its time. It was about a YouTuber and what life was like as a YouTuber, but it was yeah. about four years, five years before the big... It was kind of fictionalizing When that was the most wanted job by anyone under the age of yeah. 12 in the world right now. Well, that was always the thing. Whenever you talk to execs from Nickelodeon, they would always say that like the trick to children's television is to make shows for that are about characters who are about three years older than the people you're trying to make the show for because for kids that's 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 wish fulfillment to be a couple of years older than you are yeah as a kid is like the ultimate dream not you to be, be a, your older brother or not your to be sister, the point you know? where you're like doing your taxes but no at the point when, just to be a bit older just yeah, a couple of years up and that was always the thing yeah yeah ah, so then moving on to the being the indie darling um yeah <laughs> you made thomas was alone uh, you made the Flash game. Sort of tell me a yep. little bit then. At the time you were making these licensed properties games and these sort of <laughs> games based on yeah. already made things. So the creativity, I imagine, was a little a little stifled in, in parts. Um, um, I imagine you got to be I, experimental, yeah. but not to the point where you were making your own stuff. Was this kind of the outlet of... I'm, I've been making adventure games about feudal medieval villages since I was like eight years old. I, I, need I to did be able stop to... making those, I should point out. That wasn't my, I wasn't, you know. But you, were, you, you know, you need to be like, I need to make my own stuff. Like I want to yeah. have that creative output. It was output. purely ego driven. Yeah, absolutely. Like I enjoy, I do enjoy working on licensed stuff actually. It's something I do want to go back and do again yeah. at some point. Um, I really did. There's something about playing with other people's worlds that's fascinating to me, and just kind of it's how do you make a video game of this? It's weirdly dead now, though, isn't it? If you think it is, well, it's it's weirdly dead in our sector. Like if you're if you're a mobile game developer, oh, licensing yes. is everything right now. Yeah. Um, but yes, in terms of like console I... and PC, yeah, you're not you're not seeing it. Well, it's not. It's even console. Just the sheer amount it costs to make games compared to the early days of the the xbox 360 and then the playstation 2 which had an unholy amount of licensed properties oh, yeah. then um you know ios and android does seem like the platform we see you know we see all these sort of marvel spin-off games or mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff the only ones i can really think of are the lego games um they're the only sort of successful ones that have taken intellectual properties from hollywood and stuff like that harry potter yeah. star wars and uh marvel and created something other than well the clever thing there is they've got a pseudo franchise right so like there is a yeah. lego game series and they just pull in different franchises i mean in lego dimensions case they bring in a bunch into one and and the mashup is the interesting aspect but yeah so i, I did like doing that stuff but yeah in my own time i think the big thing for me uh, was actually playing um that first run of indie games things like world of goo uh playing those games and going oh i can like because the thing with world of goo was it was made by a couple of i think they were xea um, so and playing the, that as a developer in a big studio and going, yeah. oh, we can make our own things? You can, that's a thing? And release it on the Wii? And the, yeah, and I remember Darwinia <laughs> was a big one for me, and I know the okay. introversion guys now, and that was a, I don't think I've ever told them, but genuinely Darwinia was another one for me where I was like, I can, like, I, like in, a, in a nice way, I could do this. I could go and make my own games if, if I found the opportunity. Um, 
and yeah, Thomas was alone. The the initial Flash game was just one weekend. I set myself the challenge, like, make something and put it up on, uh, at that point, Congregate, which was the big site for yeah. Flash games. Yeah. Um, and it just it just kind of blew up. It didn't blow up massively. Um, it kind of, I think it was about 100,000 players. But I, I remember I got that an email time, from... That was, at that time... It was, it was in the top massive. rung. No, definitely. Yeah, it was in the top rung. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't record-breaking or whatever. It but seems to be I remember the founder like a, of Congregate emailed me. Sorry, go on. Uh, no, uh, it just seems to be like that was sort of an alternative. Like you had like um, early versions of Spelunky on Flash sites, uh, Super Meat Boy on Flash sites. It, like those. It was a way of getting something out there. Yeah, yeah. So carry on. Sorry, please. You received an email. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. So I got an email from the founder of Congregate, um, which just was congratulating me. And again, as someone who was um, kind of behind the scenes and not someone who's who was out there my games were out there people were playing my games but I, they didn't know who i was and i didn't i hadn't really connected with the audience ever just having that kind of acknowledgement that i did a thing was awesome um and then i went back into the office on monday and um yeah it was very controversial because i'd made something that you know a lot of contracts you know say that the company owns everything you make yes and, Ooh, you know yes. in your own time and everything so i went i'd know i'd not checked with anyone that this was okay um, and I found out years later that there were like meetings. There were people in those meetings who were not happy with me and were like, "We should fire him." For, like genuinely, like that was a whole thing. Unfortunately, um, yeah, been, yeah. Um, so it was a whole. It was a, a lot of drama that I wasn't aware of at the time because I was just sat at my desk working, like just completely unaware of the meetings that were going on. But fortunately for me, the company decided not to fire me. Yeah. Um, and actually did something amazing and actually gave me the ownership. Um, which they didn't have to do. They could have completely owned Thomas Was Alone and never done anything with it because it wasn't the kind of game Blitz yeah. would have released. But they I mean, wrote it, me a letter that gave me the rights to it. That's, so. that's incredible because you think on the flip side, oh my God, Thomas Alone was this massively successful indie game. Like, oh my God, look what we could... Well, it would never happened if you didn't give Mike ownership. If I didn't have it. Yeah, if you didn't And they it. wouldn't have made it. It would have just sat on a shelf, essentially, as an intellectual property that Blitz owned. And no one would have ever made it. No one would have played it. I'd have moved jobs, and yep. then it would just have died. Um, and but they 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 gave me the ownership of it, which was really sweet of them. And I've still got that letter somewhere, um, just kind of you know yeah. from the the CFO of the of Blitz, just like going, "No, Mike owns Thomas was alone. We don't care." Um, and because of that letter, yeah, I got to go on and make it. Um, so then my friend uh, Imre, um, who I'd worked with, he'd been a uh, manager of mine on um, on Dead to Rights. Yeah. He went off to London to start Bossa Studios with some friends and they invited oh, me to, okay. to join them. Yeah. Um, not with Thomas Was Alone. Thomas Was Alone was always something separate to Bossa. Um, so Thomas Was Alone was something I made in my spare time, but Bossa wanted me as a lead designer on there. At that point, they were making Facebook games. So I kind of went down and back when every designer thought Facebook games were the future. Um, <laughs> that was a fun t two years, like where that was the case. Mm. But yeah, so I, I went down so, to London. Well, so you went to Bossa, and you were working on Thomas Alone in your spare time. And um, yeah, we sort of know what happened next. Uh, and you've gone on this. Well, I keep going on about it on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. you you're on this roller coaster ride now for the past few years, where you've made two incredibly successful games, and um, both uniquely different from each other. Which is, mm. I imagine, one of the either, probably either the easiest. And also hardest points. Because a lot of people, when they make their first game... It's stupid is what it is. <laughs> That's it's, the thing, isn't it? I was thinking about stupid. it. It's like, you make your first game. Very easy then to make another very similar game. But instead, you made a completely different game. You 
made it in 3D as well, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. All this are whole new learning experiences, and obviously we talked about the fact that you've been doing VR now. How is it now then to sort of just, uh, unfortunately, generally sum it all up in terms of being at the point now where you you know you make your own games, you you sort of have your own studio. Um, compared to the times when you were working on licensed properties, I imagine all of those things like it's more stressful and longer hours and that kind of stuff. But satisfying, what like, I'm, it must be incredibly satisfying to be able to be like, oh, it is. Wow. I yeah, I get to decide like what me and my team make, um, and that's amazing. Um, I also get, I mean, the, the side of it that genuinely is surprising to me is how much I enjoy being, like, having a team and looking after them. Like, how much, how important it is to me to kind of, because um, we've got a lot of, you know, younger people, older yeah. people, different people at different stages of their careers. Um, and being able to kind of try and help all of them to, to achieve what they want to achieve in, yeah. in life and in their careers, that's awesome to me. I didn't, I honestly didn't think I'd give a shit. Like I, when I was working, when I was uh, genuinely, like when I was younger, kind of, I, I was very, you know, ego driven, very much kind of wanting to make stuff. And it was all about the game. Like, I just want to make the best yeah. game I could. And we we still, you know, we still want to keep making awesome games. But it has, um, it has changed. But you from... do grow up and realize that you want, it's a family, I guess. But yeah. like, you know, in the, in the fast and furious sense rather than the literal sense. It's <laughs> more of a sort of, I can imagine because obviously you made Thomas Was Alone in your spare time on your own mm. and you were just making the best game that you could make. And now it's yeah. kind of that, I imagine on volume, giving other people responsibilities and having to trust them to do a little as bit. Good a I mean, I'm still, I'm still a dictator. Um, I'm still a dictator. I'm still, I'm still, <laughs> you know, very much forcefully wanting what I want. Yeah. Um, but you but have I'm to trust better. in their ability. I'm better. Because you of have course. to trust in your ability to hire them in the first place. Well, exactly. I don't hire people who are worse than me at anything. So, they, <laughs> like everyone in the company is better than me. That's like genuine. That's a big part of it. Is and you're right. That that means that they, they often their work gets in. Um, they, obviously, obviously their work gets in, but often their ideas get in, and big chunks of volume, in particular, are other people's ideas. Like fundamentally, like obviously everyone's doing the work, but also like. Um, the number of like there are features that an artist came up with that are yeah. parts of you know the game code there are ideas that a coder had about a cool enemy design that are in the game like there's lots yeah. of stuff that it becomes it doesn't it doesn't belong to me anymore it becomes a, a, a I'm a, it's there's a really interesting thing with design where I think a lot of people assume design is about being Steven Spielberg right being yeah. a director being just pushing everything forward and I bet that's not even true of Spielberg because in reality, in the games industry, a designer is, it's more of a curator. You're more kind of, you're just collecting up all the good ideas and going, yeah, that one's good. Let's do yeah. that one. <laughs> you know, it's this not necessarily generating stuff. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's about working out, like, how do we take these three good ideas that people have had? How do we make them fit together? How do we not contradict anything? How do we make a satisfying experience at the end of it? So it's it's not just about coming down from the mountain with the stone tablets and going, this is the video game we're making. It's more kind of collaborative. And I like that. And I, yeah. I like I like how much better the games become when there are more people involved in the process. And that's definitely the experience now as we keep getting bigger and keep making yeah. bigger games. You know, that's going to be happening even more. Excellent. Well, that's great to hear. And sort of, it does feel, especially when you have maybe a, a little bit of a smaller team, less of a melting pot and more of a 
a creative coming together of lots of great mm. people who work together who have mm, similar ideas. Like, obviously, you hire people based on how their sort of ideas and personality speak to you as the sort of owner and the leader of the team. So it, there mm. has to be some sort of familiarity or similarity in shared ideas. So the ideas are always never so far out there that you're like, ah, this, this doesn't work for us. But more of a mm. like, do you know what? If I had more time, I might have come up with a very similar idea, but I'm glad you <laughs> thought that anyway. I, I, I mean, I actively try... I mean, it definitely... Uh, I would say volume, definitely. Like, I, rec I recruited a lot of people that were like me or had the same experience as me or the same background just because they're people I'd worked with in industry before. Yeah, yeah. But I must admit, like, since then, we have really tried to... Um, recruit more and more people who who i've not worked with before more new people um you know younger people um more diverse people but not in any kind of like metricy way just kind of people who are not me people yeah. who have different ex life experiences from different countries from different uh you know experiences yeah um and what that's actually done is i i like it because now it's not the case of what you said of kind of well i might have come up with that idea eventually myself if i ever think that that's probably that's kind of reductive, right? That's not very interesting. No, yeah. it's actually what's nice is we now have a lot of people who are coming up with stuff that I could genuinely never have invented or thought of, and that's where it's exciting to me because then we get to make that game and we get to you know bring yeah. some production value or scale to stuff that's different. And and I think honestly, I think that's how you have a long career. Like I think you you know it, it, it's it's the difference between being a one-hit wonder and actually, you know, we'd like to keep making games. Keep making I, games. I plan to make games until I until I die or I'm, yeah. or I'm shipped off to an <laughs> island with uh, some games of my choice. You know, well, I want to keep doing stuff. Speaking of games uh, to take with you to a deserted island then, um, yes. I imagine on a constant day-to-day -day, day -day basis you have lots of ideas coming at you. You're like, oh, that would be a great one. But we do have to speak about games and sort of segueing very loosely into a di the director, podcast the right director now, the role that you were speaking yeah. about that you are currently now in. Let's yeah. talk about a very famous director and someone who I would be... In my mind, the, the sort of epitome of someone who collects ideas from others, but always has his own vision, um, mm. completely his, I mean, he put his goddamn name on the box of almost every title until he was unfortunately sort of forced out towards the last one. Um, games very much about one man and one man only. And I, I've heard uh, games that inspire you and have in the past quite a lot. So, I think I know who we're talking about. Yeah, so I think you might. So let's listen to some music from the first game on Mike's list. And let's just dive straight into Mike's final games.
so kicking off Mike's list then, we are taking eight, well, we're making Mike choose eight games to take with him to a deserted island. And I've heard this one's pretty, pretty important. The, I wondered after talking to you and doing a little bit of research whether this would actually feature on your list because it is a linear game in the mm. sense that it has a, narr a driven narrative. Once you start, you finish within 10 to 15 hours or so. And that's kind of it. You can play around with the mechanics and you can have some fun and go back. Um, but it is, I would consider, not a very good deserted island game. It has a sort of uh, almost non... <laughs> a point where it becomes unplayable in terms of there's no replay value in it. And, and that has become a How big thing. How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> well, it becomes a thing on the show where <laughs> we've spoken a lot about games that are replayable. You have... Mm. An incredible amount of games now that have these, you know, games that want you to pay money for their content many times after the game's release. So they have these elements that have to be replayable. Um, but this is coming from a time when, when you bought a game, that was it. Like, you bought the game, nothing else happens. And this is a very story-driven game because we're talking about the man himself, the one and only Hideo Kojima. And the game you've chosen, Mike... Um, I think people are going to be a little conf not confused, but they're going to be mm. interested as to why out of all the games Hideo Kojima's made, this is the one that you've chosen. It's the game that released in 2001, in November of 2001. It's the sequel to the incredibly successful Metal Gear Solid. It features a huge twist at the beginning where the actual protagonist of the game is not the, the, the beloved Solid Snake, the fan favorite, but a completely different character. And once again, Kojima pulling the wool over the player's eyes. This game featured Raiden. Mm. <laughs> um, and Mike, you have chosen the first game to take with you to be Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Mike, please explain yes. yourself. <laughs> so first of all, on the Raiden thing, I've been proven right. Um, at the age of <laughs> at the age of sixteen, playing this game, um, I remember the the backlash against Raiden. Like, it wasn't you know the grizzled hero Snake, this kind of young, beautiful young man who was uh, who was who was you know kind of annoying and smarmy and a bit weird. Um, I was right because Raiden then obviously late in later game, games did become a lot of people's fan favorites. He, so much so he got a, a spin-off by Platinum. He did get which a, is awesome. He did get a really fucking cool spin-off game. <laughs> so I feel I got vindicated in the fullness of time because I loved Raiden. <laughs> I really like genuinely really? want Yeah, I really liked him as a character because I think and this is so this is true of Metal Gear Solid in general. I was not as a kid I was not into any um Japanese culture. I wasn't exposed to anime. I guess my only knowledge of like quote unquote kind of Japanese media was like Pokemon. Yeah. I didn't have many games consoles. I didn't have um most of most of my childhood gaming memories are of PC games, you know, and and that kind of uh western content really. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially in Britain cuz you know there wasn't the same kind of games console culture. As, as Americans often no, had, you know. Spectrum and the BBC Micro. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. a lot of PC-based PC consoles and that sort of 
uh, you had to program your own games at some point, <laughs> kind of thing. You get um, the magazine and you get the code out of it, <laughs> then you realize the code was for a different platform and it wouldn't work at all. Um, so for me, Metal Gear Solid, like there was a massive part to it, to my enjoyment of it, uh, that it was culturally weird. Like, especially, so, again, my dad got me really into, like, 80s movies as a, as, there was a certain, like, I think I was about, about 14, and he sat yeah. me down, and he was like, right, you're watching Terminator, you're watching, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're watching Escape from New York, which obviously is a massive influence on Metal Gear Solid, you're watching all of these movies, and he kind of gave me my, I think I watched Terminator, Predator, and Alien in one afternoon, like, with my dad, like, it was, I was getting my cultural introduction from him, is of all there, the stuff I he loved. We've had lots of talks about dads on Final Games in the past, yeah. and mothers, but I think your dad, being the computers, dead of night, computer stealing, showing his son predator and terminator dad i think your dad takes the coolest dad trophy so far he he set me up it's fair to say he definitely <laughs> he, he definitely set me up culturally um and what that meant was that like so so i i kind of came to so metal gear solid always felt weird and different because it was kind of regurgitating a lot of these action tropes i was familiar with but i wasn't like i'd not i wasn't familiar with my only knowledge of mechs was mech warrior which again was a very westernized kind of take yeah. on that robotech universe so all of this stuff kind of swirling around so for me the raiden thing i didn't fully understand i was because i because they i think they even like in his introduction they call him snake to throw you off like they they call yes. him the wrong thing and as a kid, I was like, so is that Snake? Is it like a clone of Snake? Have they? Is it Liquid? Am I playing as Liquid from the first game? Like, and that confusion and like complete... Because cause the rules... Because there were no rules. As far as I was concerned with the Metal Gear Solid universe, it was ridiculous. That's and a, I enjoyed that aspect of it as a kid. It's a pretty good way of putting the Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Like, just to hit, get back, Metal Gear mm. from the outset, from the outset, from the sort of surface level, doesn't look very japanese so i'm wondering when you were a kid when you saw metal gear solid i bet you were thinking oh this is a western game look genuinely and again right i mean it's weird how much my dad's coming up but my dad's i i was introduced to metal gear solid i, I will always remember this one of my dad's best mates uh it was 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 around the house or whatever and he was a big gamer and i think i'd just gotten I, I just upgraded my PC, and yeah. they, they just released the PC port of the original Mergo Solid, which was not a very good port, historically, <laughs> but it was the only way I was going to play it. And I remember my dad giving, my dad's friend giving me Metal Gear Solid, like, to lend me. I think I've still got it somewhere. I think I completely stole that from him. Wow, runs in the family. He lended it to me, and he, exactly, right, we're a house of thieves. <laughs> but the introduction, the introduction given to me was... You'll like this, Mike. It's a spy game, and if you climb up and down a ladder a few times, a woman takes her top off. And I think I was about 13, 14, so that sounded like the best idea for a video game ever to me. I was very, <laughs> very intrigued by that premise. And yeah, so I didn't know anything about the Japanese uh, kind of origin of it, except for when I started the game. I noticed all the names, the names, know, the, the team. Yeah, it was, it was all, it was all. They all sounded foreign. They all yeah. sounded Japanese. And as someone who'd not seen an anime, the pacing of it, the storytelling of it, all just felt so um, excitingly wrong. Like it was, it was, it was eighties <laughs> action, but just off. Because, because the great thing about Kojima, as you say, is he kind of he takes all of these these influences. He's clearly a massive fan of like Western movies yeah. and Western culture and then fanboys out about all that stuff tries to make it himself 
I guess it's the inverse of the the English kid it, drawing anime, right? It, like it's the opposite yeah. of that. It, it's it's fascinating for all the things it gets wrong, but it's then also weird. all the things, the details, it it's changes, like and all this. Stuff. Watching a man, it's like it's like watching someone who writes fan fiction about anime, but a man who writes fan fiction about 80s action films instead. And yeah. he's just going off on one and he's like, well then Arnold Schwarzenegger appears and then yeah. he's fighting And they're, va- they're all vampires. Yeah. And, and then, then there's robots and zombies <laughs> and like, and stuff. And it just, it, it led to this enormously, just culturally fascinating thing to me. And the first game plays it relatively safe. But even there, there's like some, some weirdness going on. Like obviously it, like Psychomantis and... It's more the, the weird stuff you get out of Metal Gear Solid the the well, I say the first game the first solid game because obviously there were there were Metal Gear games before that but the first solid game the weirdness you got out of the details it was when you spent yeah inane time re- repeatedly doing things for other stuff to appear that was a secret that you would never have found unless your friend yeah. found out from but then after but also that, just characters like Revolver Ocelot the Russian cowboy yeah <laughs> like stuff like that where but you're it, like I feel I like the more it went on the more Kojima got comfortable with being weird. So yes, and the more Metal he was Gear, indulged, probably yeah. right. Like he was probably allowed to be weird. Exactly, and then and with two and three onwards, that weirdness was like front and center. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when you think of two, you talk about two. People are like, oh yeah, but you know that bit where you're cartwheeling naked towards the end, and it's yeah. like that's the kind of weird stuff that was like frontal. That was. The first one had a lot of weird stuff in it, but this was like, mm. Kojima's like, fuck it, I can do what I like now. And this is all, go- you're all going to experience this, whether you find it or not. <laughs> and it's tough to explain to, like, I've tried to have this conversation with younger people, because obviously lots of younger people have gone back and played one and two and three and all yeah. these all these games. It's so weird to try and explain to people what this stuff was like pre-internet. Well, not pre-internet. I mean, obviously, the internet existed um, in nineteen. Not readily available on your iPhone right now. And exactly, and and it was still the internet still felt like a lot of very separate islands. Like I was a big Star Trek nerd as a kid, so like I was on Star Trek internet. I was looking at all the Star Trek websites. The I wasn't in nowadays. Pop culture is you know all bleeds into each other. Yeah, everyone knows the origin of every comic book character. If you're a nerd, if you're into video games, you know. Yeah, who's who? You the, have every to Marvel have like a bank is. of all types of pop culture. It's an encyclopedic kind of way of thinking now that yeah. genuinely didn't exist back then. And, yeah. and if you weren't familiar with these cultural kind of signposts, it was weird and fascinating and. And 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 just felt so fresh. I because I wasn't a big comic book guy either back then, um, and that meant that like concepts like um, it's Fortune, isn't it? Is the character who um, can't get shot. Yes. She, she she has. It turns out she's got some technology that's deflecting the bullets. But for the most of the game, you just it's just that she's lucky. That guns misfire. She can't get hit. Um, and just as a as a sixteen year old, like thinking that's so cool. I've not like that as a concept that's a great <laughs> narrative device and I didn't have the words to express that but it just felt so different and I think that's why 2 is on this list more than the others is that 2 for me felt like the one where he was going the most wild 3 for me it feels like it's almost like the reaction to the backlash to 2 because 2 wasn't what the what the fans wanted necessarily yeah. i think a lot of a lot of the fans wanted the more americanized kind of gung ho spy thriller 
Um, and three to me feels like I mean oh, don't get me wrong obviously still a lot of that fun in there but like it feels a bit more affected Rain, a reined bit more, in a little bit like to the even to um is it Rydonovich or like there's a Russian there's a Russian soldier soldier who is Raiden who is Raiden taken yeah. Raiden <clears throat> yeah and and there's like gay jokes about him and there's kind of uh, it's a bit awkward and a bit kind of like he's aware that the audience Doesn't thought Raiden like was him. a bit gay quote 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 unquote kind yeah. of thing. Um and I th- and I think there was an almost an affectation at that point of kind of the there was more constraints on this game. Um so two though for me was the one where I feel like it's the purest Hideo Kojima game. Like it feels like the one where he really went for it because yeah. he because one empowered him. What after the money one made, I imagine people just gave him everything he needed to make whatever he wanted. <laughs> and then I think from th- I think one is the one that freed you know Melgar Solid one freed him from the bosses, and I think Melgar Solid three is where he starts being constrained by the fan base. I think two is that magical moment where they're still great. Don't get me wrong. Three is probably the best, objectively the best Metal Gear Solid game. Four has its strengths, and five was lovely. But like, two is you it's know the one Kojima. that for me is it's concentrated Kojima. Yeah, like it's, it's you feel Pure like your one hundred percent Kojima juice. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, no, I actually I've never really thought of it like that. I think having gone back and watched sort of the documentaries at the time because there was a lot surprisingly mm. enough one obviously being incredibly successful two had a lot of filming there was done a, about a it. dvd disc, yeah, it was a dvd there. yeah that, that you know out. they again you have to explain this to people at a yeah. time where people didn't do that stuff for no. video games like you didn't have that yeah that was it, amazing, it was amazing they, they documented it, and you can see kojima being like this is how this is going to play out with this and this and i'm going to do this and then i've just thought of an and it's it is like a creative genius I, I use the word genius but being it being kojima but like he's just rattling off ideas and he's like i'm just gonna mm. put everything i think in this game and we're gonna we're gonna just do mm-hmm. it and send it out and that's what he did and, I, and obviously you you can see three became the the obviously it's not solid snake it's big boss it became the big boss show and it was all about snake the way snake looked and snake story and all that yeah. kind of stuff um so you can sort of see that a little bit the weirdness does stay but it's not as it's oh. tempered isn't it yeah. it's more controlled um and i think it's more ignorable as well i think he put it in i i've got friends who um, actually, the um, one of the concept artists and my best mate, a guy called Daz Watford, who works with me on everything, um, he loved Metal Gear Solid Five. But one of the things he said to me about Metal Gear Solid Five was, "It's cool. I have to ignore all the silly bullshit, but like, it's <laughs> the bits with like when I'm when like, and he actively like he doesn't buy weapons that didn't exist in the period. For him, it's a historical shooter, and he's annoyed by the mechs when they show up. There and it's like, and I feel like that's the." I know, right? And I'm, I'm like massively against that viewpoint. But I also think that since three, Kojima has been trying to, or was trying to. It's going to be so weird when Metal Gear Solid games come out that aren't Kojima. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, like I feel like there wasn't a, an attempt to make it so you could you could opt into the silly. Like the silly was there if you wanted to enjoy it, but it was also trying to place itself as as more realistic. I think Kojima um, would hate himself to having to do something like that. He, he's like <laughs> well that's what I'm saying. It's, it's I think yeah. it was a, I don't think it was coming from Kojima. I think it was yeah. a constraint. Or if it was coming from Kojima it was a reaction to the to the reaction from fans like that he was trying to temper his stuff to fit the fan base a bit. Yeah. More. Well, it was that thing is like all of a sudden he's got this massive western audience bearing down on him because yeah. 
Metal Gear is popular in Japan, but it's way more popular in the West than it is in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's Snake is a Absolutely. recognizable character, but uh, he's as recognizable as you know a, a character from Japan that's done really well is. But he's not like the the cream of the crop. He's not one of the five icons of video games. But in the West... No, he hasn't got that status. In the West, like, Metal Gear is massive. It's huge. Like, the whole Konami thing went down, and I think if you talk to people in Japan about what happened, it's a very Japanese culture where man defied company, company sacked man kind of thing, and Mm -hmm. that's their way of thinking about it. Whereas in the West, it's like, how could they do this to such a creative genius like Hideo Kojima? (laughs) We love his games. How how dare you treat him in such a way? And there is that rabid sort of fan base about Metal Gear. And Mm. I think being someone like Kojima, who is constantly partly ridiculed and made fun of because of his crazy ideas, he's trying his best in a way to like make these ideas seem Western, but he, he can't do he it. can't he do can't, it. He can't and get over it. And that's what's his fun. being Japanese, and that's what comes. Yeah, as you said, that's what's fun. That's that's what comes from him being a Japanese man, uh, having these Japanese ideas in his head, and then being like, "Well, I have all these Western influences. Let's try and piece them together." And they don't mm. quite fit. They're like weird puzzle pieces that you just sort of mash together, and then they kind of mm. fit. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Death Standing plays out because that looks more serious. Then, but is it though? No, I, I, I don't think, think so. I, I think I he's think gonna. So. I think he's gonna have fun. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little bit worried about his his absolute adoration of Mads Mikkelsen. Like, I, I, I hope it's. I hope it, it isn't just about him. I'd like to see I more. Do. I love Mads Mikkelsen you want- too. So I'm, I'm super <laughs> you intrigued. All Mads all the time. Just because you're a fanboy, like I can imagine being Kojima. All of the slow camera pans and oh. And stuff of Mads, just yeah. like it's gonna be like every time Mads is on screen, you're gonna be able to press like L1, R3, Circle X, and they're all gonna be different cameras <laughs> that are all just pointing at Mads in different ways. And like he's, awesome. he's gonna use that gorilla tech to um, get the perfect like representations of Mads. It's gonna be, be great. Gonna be beautiful. <laughs> Photo mode is gonna be the best in the industry. <laughs> I um I think um so to come back to your point of like why bring it to a desert island. Yes, that's um, why we're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the big part for me is is I think one thing that, that the Metal Gear game Metal Gear Solid games don't get enough credit for is how replayable they are in terms of um the gameplay content, in terms of um the systems. The systems design in Metal Gear Solid games, especially the earlier ones, are fantastic. Yeah. In terms of overlap, in terms of um, the different tactical options you have. This is, I think, something that actually is perhaps a weakness of my games. Um, and so I definitely respect it in other people, this kind of idea of being able to combine skills. There isn't there isn't just the one solution that Kojima came up with for any level in Metal Gear Solid. You've got the tools that you can do various different things. And they think through. It's not just a case of, well, shall I use this gun or this gun? And that's just killing someone. It genuinely, you can choose different play styles, different tactics. Best example of this is I remember with Metal Gear Solid Two because I've got I've, I've got younger sisters, uh, much younger sisters, and uh, for a couple of them, and they um I wasn't allowed to play Metal Gear Solid Two when they were around because yeah. it was violent, and it was you know <laughs> it's just it's that game where you shoot people. Coming so when I was dad, playing, coming from the dad who was like son. Sit down. We need to watch. <laughs> sit down. You've got some out. eighteen certificate movies to watch. Um, but no, like the um, the uh, but, but like my youngest sister Leanne was she was you know so young that she was a to- she was a toddler you know right? yeah, it was yeah. or just old enough that she was watching what was going on on the screen. So 
what happened was the the compromise i created as a kid who really wanted to play metal gear solid 2 at the weekend uh was we made it the man in the box game and uh me and my little sister would sit on the sofa and i was and basically i had to play the enormous chunks of metal gear solid 2 without using a gun and therefore hiding in a box and me and my little sister would we had the man in the box song which was i'm the man in the box the man in the box you can't catch me i'm the man in the box and we'd and my little toddler sister would sit next to me i'm sure she probably doesn't remember this she's not a toddler anymore and she'd sit there and she'd just sit there rocking back and forth going man in the box man in the box you can't catch a tree i'm a man in the box and she'd sing this little song as i was playing the game and it made the game like harder but it as a, as a designer now, I look back at that and go, what an amazing thing that a video game, I could play it in a way that was in no way the core experience as designed and all the mechanics and all the expense had been put into all these weapons. But you can totally play the game just hiding in a box. Um, and it is a weird thing. Cool. <clears throat> Metal Gear is one of those games, and very rare. When we talk about replayability, we talk about games that are games defined by matches say rocket league or mm. fifa or league of legends games that have a set timer on a game and then you just replay the next one it's a competitive match mm. or the other one is like story games that have multiple endings um or multiple ways they can plan out mmos mm -hmm. that have all this content there is very rare games that can be so narrative driven from point a to point b and end that the reason you replay them is because of the game mechanics like those yeah. game mechanics that make you like i want to feel that in my hands in the controller and i just want to play around with that no matter it doesn't mm. matter what i'm doing I, I i don't need to make any progress in the story i don't need to do anything like that it's just the the mechanics of the game feel so good that you need yeah. it you need it you need that feeling uh, and you want to replay that over and over again which is definitely something as you said with metal gear that gives you the tools to experiment, and mm. even in Metal Gear Solid 2, where, you know, it's still pretty limited for the time. It's a PlayStation 2 game. Um, it, it doesn't have the Zelda Breath of the Wild catalyst. Everything in the world is sort of interactable, but it, it it's has... It's getting there, though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you think of that, like, if you think of, like, even at the point Metal Gear Solid 4 was at, being early PS3... The stuff you could do in that game was leagues ahead of anything else. And that's how 2 was at the time. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. I guess that is the... I can see from that point of view why you want to take it with you. And... <clears throat> I want to dig in. I want to find everything that Kojima put in that game. And if I'm going to be sat on a desert island anyway, with lots of spare time, I can be forensic. I can search out every corner of that game. That appeals to me. <laughs> well... It's going to be yours to take with you. And you can uh, spend the rest of your day singing the Man in the Box song and uh, finding all of Kojima's little secrets. Sounds good. <laughs> well, we are going to move on to your next game now. Um, as much as I want to hear you talk about Metal Gear Solid, the whole series. <laughs> um, but we are going to move on to a game now that is replayable. And it is a game that you would think, ah, Deserted Island Situation. This is kind of the type of puzzle game that I would want to take with me. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it.
So, Mike, before we dive in to the second mm. game on your list, we have to talk about the deserted island in which we are sending you. Um, mm. We're not just sending you to any random deserted island. You have chosen eight games, so we want you to be able to play those eight games comfortably, if possible. Um, so we allow you to choose the place where you're going to be sent. It has to be from video games. It's obviously deserted to the extent that any NPCs or characters you could interact with or could potentially help you out, they're not going to be there. But if you choose a place that has like monsters or dangers, well, then that's yours to risk. Um, mm. But you are going to be sent to this place. So try and think of a, a place where you wouldn't mind spending the rest of your days playing Metal Gear Solid 2, singing the Man in a Box song. <laughs> um, is there anywhere that sort of comes to mind? Or do you have somewhere? I mean, the the one I'm sure a lot of people have chosen before is Isle Delfino, right? So, From um, uh, Super Mario Sunshine. Is that a popular one? Isle Delfino, I think, has only appeared once. Okay, so I don't feel too obvious then. So yes, that's where I'd say a bit of Nintendo love there on a list that I think maybe lacks the Nintendo love people might expect. I do love Nintendo games. Um, and yeah, I think that's... that's It's it's sunny, it's Mediterranean. I assume I'm going to be able to clear all of the, the gunk from the world. You we'll, know, we'll give you... Before I, when I get there, right? Well, what, I'm going to have the What would, you, the, what the would you rather have? What would you rather have? Flood or the island to be cleared already? Because I mean, I mean, ideally, it would be cleared already, right? Because, That's what you want. Because you, you the, show up to a hotel, you don't want to do your own. You don't want to clean the bed, do you? You want to. Well, the risk here is that if nice. flood can make you hover, and I would, I would, mm. and it's based around water. So, sure, if you really hated Isle Dauphino after a certain amount of time, you've had you've had your fill of Metal Gear Solid Two, and you want to yeah. come home. I feel like flood. You, you could make it back with flood. So I'm, I'm, like you could. You can take away the flood from me. If okay. you're worried about me coming Escaping. back, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, no, I, I, you know what, you've got, you've got a show to run here. You have to make sure that people stay where they, where they've gone, where they've gone. Um, yes. <laughs> so as long as, as yeah, no, quid pro quo, right? If you, if you make sure that the place is nice and clean, I will. Me, I'll forego the flood. That I promise. I fair. promise. I will make it clean for you. There'll be no, there'll be no Bowser Junior gunk anywhere. Uh, it'll, um, <clears throat> but we'll allow. Hmm, I'm thinking about maybe keeping the portals to the other worlds, though. Although those worlds will very, be deserted, that's too. very accommodating of you. I yeah. don't, I don't think you, I don't think you have to do that. If you, wow, man. I think that's nice, but that's a lot of. <laughs> and also, I worry as well that, like in the real world, I worry that the average Mario level would it's be very a dangerous and terrifying experience. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> if I've got to go there, I remember you this. You do not I, have uh, Mario's jump, that's for sure. So. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, then I would not last long in yeah. that, in okay. that environment. Well, so I think I'll stay. I'll stay. You know, much like being a tourist, I'll stay near the tourist. You, you, I'll stay. You're, you're probably the first guest who's been very accommodating to the idea that I'm deserting them for life on a video game themed island. I think you got to get into the spirit of it. You know what I mean? I, if you're, if I'm you know, if you've, you've, this is you've set this up. I'm, I'm all for role playing on this show, and I am fully <laughs> willing to send you off and for you to figure your way out on this lovely island. I will make sure it's very beautiful. It's always sunny yeah. in Isle Delfino, so you can look forward to that. Mm. But the next game you are going to be playing on Isle Delfino mm. is a game that is replayable. Um, it is that yep. sort of uh, epitome of the kind of game you'd want on a deserted island. This is. It comes up every show now as something like the the difference between games that are singular linear experiences and and they're more the nostalgia picks 
of final games than yeah. anything. And this kind of game is the kind of game that's the practical element. The, oh my god, I'm going to be stuck sunbathing on Isles Defeated Forever. I want something to do. So this mm. next game is an indie puzzle game that was developed by Servo. And it released originally back on iOS in 2014. Wow, I thought it was a lot longer than that. Um, but since then, it's been released on Android, Xbox One, on PC as well. And it's had an unholy amount of uh, clones made of it. Oh, yes. I think uh, some that have become quite popular in their own, which has become quite controversial as well. Um, but mm-hmm. it is a game that sort of is an amalgamation of lots of other types of puzzle games. And it's not a game I know too much about. I've played it a little. I'm very impatient with this kind of game. Um, <laughs> but it definitely is something that you could master had you had 60, 60 years on a deserted island. So the next game Mike is going to be That's taking very, with him. 60 years at 31, I will take. That's, can you guarantee <laughs> that as part of the process? I, I can try. Great. I've lived a very, very bad life. I don't know if I'll make it that long. But if you're promising that, that would be fantastic. Hey, like, you know, like all those people who retire to like Spain and all those wonderful sunny places, they live until they're like 100. So They do, but they get very leathery. They do get very leathery. But the thing is, no one's going to see the leatheriness. So oh, that's can, true, yeah. I'm on my own so who cares yeah, yeah who cares exactly point. you can just yeah. live your games playing this next game which is called threes <laughs> mike yes please classic. tell me why are you taking threes with you i th- i genuinely think threes is a game that only comes around a ge- once a generation i genuinely wow. think it's i think it's up there with tetris i think it's it is an incredible concept i think the fact that it has been cloned so much just demonstrates how incredibly uh, satisfying yeah. and interesting that core gameplay is which is so simple and i say that with the ma- with an enormous amount of respect one of the nicest things a designer can say about another designer's work is wow it's so simple um it's a compliment uh, a lot yeah. often you'll say that public i'll say something simple on twitter and people will be like you know oh, where you, you wish you could make something that brilliant yeah, exactly <laughs> um it's definitely not it's definitely you know uh, intended as a compliment i think it's an amazingly beautiful idea that i think every designer just looks at and goes why did no one think of this why yeah. why or why are they just think of this now it's great it's it plays to um it's a very easy to understand concept it's but a very tricky to master and all other all those other puzzle game cliches yeah it also is incredibly well designed for its its starting interface the kind of the, the touch screen phone it's it's yeah. a thumb swiping game it's very clean um, uh visually very bright it's very appe- charming it's a, though yeah, it's appealing it's minimalist and has personality you know yeah. i think that's really tricky like the minimalism and the fact that they've still managed to get so much charm and personality out of those little faces and characters and stuff it's just it's just brilliant and in terms of yeah it's definitely one that's on this list for a practical purpose that it is a game that came out in 2014 as you say and i've not gone a couple of days without playing it since like in terms wow. of just like on the tube like genuinely it's just my it's my i've got five minutes to kill just let's let's gonna play swipe some numbers yeah. and that kind of thing um, exactly so i think it's just it's something that i will definitely you know keep me keep me occupied while i'm waiting for the uh the sunrise so on, uh, Delfino. one thing i've uh, sort of come to know about threes is that um just like yourself um sort of i think it was uh asher and greg who sort of designed yep. the game they came up with the prototype in 14 hours and then fleshed upon that idea over almost two years to make it the game it is um mm. sort of looking at a game like this and a game like thomas was alone sort of visually like some very simple sort of easy mm-hmm. to understand geometric shapes that kind of thing 
some people would look at that being like, oh, that's because that's the easiest thing to do. But in the terms of like threes and Thomas's loan, it's hard to make something that simple be something. Be something that's yeah. engaging and makes the player want to play. Like, oh, why the fuck would I want to make blocks jump around or make blocks slide? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so fucking simple. But making something like that really engaging is, it must be difficult. Like, did it you is. find... It is, and I think... Did I find it that? I, yeah. I, think, I think it's... There's a purity to it. It's definitely, it's for me at least as a designer, that's the stuff that, like when you don't need to lean on anything else, when you can just make it purely about that experience. I mean, to be fair, Thomas was alone. I still lean very heavily on Danny's voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> like um, the, the charm that he brought to that performance yeah. like yeah. is is a massive part of why Thomas was alone. BAFTA once. award winning, um, some might say. BAFTA award winning Danny Wallace. Um, <laughs> God bless him. I love Danny. Um, uh, so, so like, there's a, um, there's definitely that. But I, I, for me, it's often the only answer. I think people think it's the easy answer. I think a lot of, and I, the number of times, like, because obviously, you know, I've got my Google alerts or whatever for Thomas was alone, and like searches on Twitter and whatever. So you see, I see the, you know, developer puts up an image of like a square prototype, and five people say, "Oh, you're making Thomas was alone." It's a joke response. I see that joke every day. <laughs> Um, I see that every day somewhere, and it's fine. And it's it's honestly it's quite flattering that the, the game is known enough that that's now a joke. Um, but honestly, it doesn't come from this was the easy solution I arrived at immediately. It actually mm. usually comes from the idea of I tried a bunch of other solutions. And and one thing that's interesting with threes is I think they actually released like their entire email conversation thread wow. in which they were making the game. I'd love it if more devs did this. It's a very... You've got to have a lot of confidence to do it. It's a very scary thing to do. But they shared, like, all of their their development. And what happens? It starts very simple, and then they try and make it complex and detailed and loads of intricate stuff, and then slowly but surely it goes back to simple. And we did exactly the same thing with Thomas Was Alone. Um, I tried everything. The problem with Thomas Was Alone was the gameplay was reliant on them being rectangular. Yeah. So... There was one stage where they were astronauts in like rectangular spacesuits. Uh, there was there were versions where they were just kind of humanoid characters or whatever, just with you know very squared, squared off shapes. Yeah, and it just looked rubbish and it wasn't working, and it made the game more confusing and you couldn't understand what you were doing. But even like in more de in more subtle ways, if you look at like a lot of the in development screenshots that you find on Google, I had like smoke effects and environmental effects and things like this. And it all just ended up getting deleted. Like, you add all this stuff, you add a bunch, and then you take away a bunch. And that's always, I think that's at least how our games have always worked, is yeah. that I tend to put loads of stuff in and then just start deleting it because it's distracting or it's, yeah. superfluous it's not leap pulling in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. You just don't need. And exactly. And and that's I think that's often the... That's what that's how you get there. I think very few, very few people make a rectangle and go, right, let's make it that. Most try and do more many, and then many realize, things. oh, no, it was much better when it was simple. It, and it is that weird thing that you're like, wow, ha, rectangles. Why didn't I think of this in the <laughs> beginning? It's so simple. <laughs> like, oh. And I imagine with threes, it's the same sort of thing, like that sort of easy swiping. It looks so clean. And the thought process to get to such an idea. And but then the it, amount of finesse as well into yeah. getting that to feel good, the thumb moving across and making those join. Yeah. Like the way the cards animate together, the way they join when you move your thumb over them. Yeah. Like, there is a there is a, so much finesse in that detail that yeah it's just it's just an incredibly well crafted product. It's the same as when you see like an 
um, you know, this is such a nerdy example, but samurai swords, right? You've got your cheap <laughs> samurai swords, then you've got your medium level samurai swords where they like engrave cool details into them and they make them very detailed and interesting. Yeah. And then you've got like the best samurai swords, which are back to the simplicity, but just incredibly well crafted. Yeah, so I live well made. I actually live in an area of Japan that was very famous for katakana, like uh not katakana, fucking katana making pro like the yeah. process of how most samurai swords in Japan were made at certain points was all done here. And you can sort of, oh, cool. there, there are museums in this area where you go and you see, and you see these swords from that period. And they're just, the metal work is so, it's just, it's just this sort of metal piece. It's so simple looking yet. The sort of the, you can see how it was folded onto itself and mm -hmm. how they put the blade together. It's so intricate and, perfect the finesse as you said i can, i absolutely get what you're saying in terms of it's not just like a big it's not just a shaped piece of metal it's it, it's very simply yeah. metal that's been put together in a certain way that mixed with some little bits from here and there that have made this sort of masterpiece of metal work and i i, I get that when it comes to game design as well it's like you don't just throw all your ideas in one there's a difference between finesse of process yeah. and detail of outcome like you yeah. can you can be detailed in your approach to making a game like threes where it's just about i mean they're rounded rectangles so they they're better than me in that sense they've they push the push the envelope on the uh, the curved <laughs> edge to the rectangle but like it, it does yeah i think people often mistake kind of complexity of outcome with difficulty of the job yeah and i think how often design in particular is about arriving at something that seems really simple and obvious but it takes a while to get there is threes the type of game that as a designer when people like oh uh I, what should i look to for inspiration when it comes to like designing games is this the kind of game where you like look at look at that like i mean look at my games of course but look at look at this of course, game look too. At my games <laughs> i know <laughs> i would never tell anyone to look at my games for inspiration um i think i think yeah i think threes would be a good a good example I, interestingly i think threes probably in terms of like its commercial success is very much tied to the period it came out in i think yeah. if you tried to bring out threes now you'd struggle in the same way as thomas was alone like i think i'm on record as saying several times like thomas was alone you release thomas was alone now it would be on the steam front page for about 10 minutes and sell five copies like and just done that would be the entire story of thomas was alone as it was thomas was alone came out in 2012 where it was on i think it was on the front page of steam for a week and a half that's a different It makes a big difference, doesn't nowadays. it? Yeah. That yeah. sort of visual um, so, space. So I'm always very cautious about like advising any kind of aspiring game dev to emulate anyone else's success, be it creatively or commercially. Because yeah. if we're talking about that now, it's already too late. Like You need to find your own thing and, and go for it. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, it's, I don't know if you've seen... Um, and it's, we're talking about Threes. Threes is a game that has been cloned and the success oh, so much right so much yeah. i don't know if you've ever seen i see the clones more on the tube than i see threes which, like looking which, over people's which is weird isn't it and it's like you're like yeah. you're not even playing the best version of what you're playing it's like <laughs> and, it, and it's fucking it's like next it's london though, so you can't say that yeah. unless you can get stabbed. and it's <laughs> you get arrested and thrown thrown in the tower of london <laughs> yeah. um but i don't know if you've ever seen there's an interview I, th I believe I'm, I could be entirely wrong. There is an interview I watched between, I think it's Asher from, mm. it could be Asher or Greg from Threes with, um, I've said his name so many times on the show. I think it's Alexi, the, 
the creator of Tetris. And they right. talk about clones. Obviously, Tetris mm. being one of the most cloned games of all time. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And then Threes being close to that, being one of the most cloned games on the... And the, the, the sort of contrasting opinions between the two of them, like, Alexei is a little more free. He's like, well, you had a great idea. It's kind of a compliment that people are taking your idea and, and be, it being the standard for this kind of mm. puzzle game. Whereas, I think... Being the driven young man that I think those guys are uh, behind uh, Servo, they're like, how could people? This is not cool. Like, this is our it's idea. It's almost like growing up in um, Soviet Russia gives you a different <laughs> opinion of uh, property ownership, doesn't it? Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like as opposed to like America. I'm just, I'm just wondering how <laughs> you would feel if you saw. And I imagine you have seen some. I've seen those Thomas was alone clones. There's definitely the people. How, I mean, how does that make you feel then, as a designer? Are you a bit more like? Um, I'm honestly like, so from so from a legal kind of trademark perspective, if anyone tries to like actually try and lie to the customer and you know present something as being Thomas was alone that isn't, yeah. that's a problem. Obviously, that, yeah, yeah. that that irritates me. But in terms of Thomas was alone, like influencing, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's a massive compliment. I I think they're foolish. I don't think you get to do the Thomas was alone thing twice. Like I think I think the reality is that. Thomas, like I said before, Thomas was alone was very much a success because of when it came out and and what the audience was. I think if I don't think there's going to be a second rectangle-based platformer that takes off. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I might I might be wrong, and maybe they're going to prove me wrong, but that would be my opinion. Um, but no, I'm not I'm not massively offended as long as as long as they try and do something with it. If someone made a straight up clone, I think I'd be bothered by it. I've seen them come very close. I mean, the reality though, as well, is often people come and when they do the clone, they don't realize what was good about the original. Um, the number of times I've seen like Thomas was alone clones where like the colors are really horribly like eye wateringly bad, or like <laughs> I'll see a Thomas was alone clone where they've not done a story or where they've done a story that's rubbish. Yeah, you know, like there's. It's like often the clone, the cloner thinks that if they get close to something like a facsimile, it will be good just because it will be. Um, what's interesting about Threes is it's one of those classic examples. It's a puzzle game that takes you two years to do well, but you could clone in a weekend. And it's um, it's a genre of mobile game that is very susceptible to this. You can yeah. see the same with um with ridiculous fishing. You know these yes. ideas that are really good and take a long time to make brilliantly. But, you know, to use the sword analogy, you can still take a sheet of metal and make it look like a samurai sword yeah, pretty yeah. cheaply. It, it, it's um, that simplicity where Thomas was alone was maybe this, as much as maybe on the surface level doesn't look like it, this complex coming together of the narrative of Danny telling the story with the, you know, getting that jump perfect and the platforming and everything. And it coming together, like, as you said, even the colors, making sure they fit perfectly together that yeah. many people can miss i mean that's not cleverness by the way that's time <laughs> time that's okay. not but that's, that's not that we're but geniuses that's just that we had the time to do it it's time know? to get those things together whereas you can yeah. look at threes and you're like well if i slide these numbers together they make this that's an easy game mechanic to just be like i can do that i'll do that and then i'll make and that some- mechanic is the satisfying bit that's the other i think difference between thomas was alone like the idea of making a character jump through a 2d world yeah. is not inherently good like it, it, you know, if you make a bad version of that game, yeah. it's going to suck. It's it's you know, just lots of awful not going to be fun to play. Where exactly, it's hard Whereas to get wrong. Is fundamentally good. Yeah, at a core. Same with Tetris. If you can mimic 
the gameplay of Tetris, yeah, you'd have to work very hard to make that not fun compelling it's like you all you have to do is get the get the the rate at which they fall and sort of all that kind of stuff just yeah that, that's the kind of things that maybe sometimes needs tweaking but other than that you just need some tetraminos falling down on a screen and someone to be there to place them in order and you, you've got yourself a clone that anyone yeah. is probably gonna play but we are gonna move on now and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a completely different game and we're going back onto sort of the linear pathway of things okay. um sticking with stealth though um, so I'm very interested to hear, considering you made a stealth game, and then your sort of ideas on this one as well, com- <laughs> compared to Metal Gear. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. So the next game on Mike's list is a game that was developed by Ion Storm and published by Eidos back in the day. It was designed and directed by the, the one and only Warren Spector with design help mm. from Dishonored. It's very famous Harvey Smith, who is sort of, I feel like, been thrust into the limelight recently, having such a great back catalogue of history, but also being sort of the creative lead on Dishonored and Dishonored 2, both fantastic stealth games in their own right. But this game was released back in 2000 and is an action role-playing video game that is set in a cyberthunk, uh, cyberthunk, cyberpunk, cyberfunk, cyberfunk, that's a, that's a getting, get, that is, that is, someone needs to, there you go, you can have that one for free. The cyberpunk-themed dystopian world uh, follows the story of the, this character always makes me laugh, JC Denton, the most serious 2000, early 90s, cool-looking dude. <laughs> it's of course Deus Ex Mike the next game on your list is Deus Ex why are you taking it with you? Um, for lots of reasons I think the biggest one for me in terms of Desert Island game is again like Mel Gear Solid it's a game that I think I could spend years enjoying all of the corners of yeah. like the amount of um, the overlap the different mechanics the choices you introduced as a stealth game to a lot of people it isn't right like a lot of people played that game as an action game that's true um and I, I, yeah, I definitely played it as a stealth game, but I'd be interested to find the opportunity to do that. Um, I just, I think there was this magical period of in, you know, in the early two thousands where games like Deus Ex pointed towards, um, I guess that holodeck dream, which I'm not sure we can ever actually have, but that idea of creating a simulation of a space and giving you an objective and letting you just go and do whatever you wanted yeah. to to achieve that end. And I feel like games like Deus Ex and Thief kind of that that Ion Storm period, you know, 
period pointed to that and it was exciting and uh, and it was it's something that i still think as a designer i'm trying to to grab at and do those kind of games um i don't know if i'll ever get to make one or make one that's you know as successful as those but the um i mean creatively sorry creatively successful as those games but there's um i'll never be as commercially successful it's not 2001 <laughs> anymore um <laughs> but like there was there was a uh there was something to them there was something to that approach to making games in a less contrived way and i think again it's a weakness of my games it's something that i look back at thomas and volume and feel like you know they were very much work out mike's clever solution to this problem and i think i'd like as time goes on to to be more like more like harvey smith and warren specter um who are both lovely i've been very lucky to chat to them about their design and it's it's fascinating to talk to them about how how they construct these worlds like creating a space in which you have not thought of every solution yourself but you've you you know that if you give these certain tools to a player or mm-hmm. these certain things that happen like routinely in the game like for each step on that kind of thing that the player could come to a conclusion using those things to get out of it like yeah that, that that weird balance where not breaking the game but making the player almost feel like they are to solve a problem um mm. and it, it is it like, went out of fashion didn't it, it went out of fashion that approach yes and it's weird because it's sort of coming back i mean on an entirely oh, yeah. different subject with zelda breath of the wild being a mm-hmm. game that systematically is a game all about figuring your own solution out like although maybe a little more simplistic a simplistic god i can't even talk today simplistic compared to deus ex mm. or end thief in terms of its but there are weird points in that game where it's like look we haven't given you every type of tool to figure out this solution so you need to piece together yourself how you're going to get through this and it does sort of hark back to that idea that with deus ex and i think human revolution and i haven't played mankind myself but those ideas as well like they would put you in a room and you at the very least had two ways of getting out it was either the stuff mm. way or the action way but there was other little things that you could do like you could hack little things to like do stuff and you had your augments which were more combat focused than i would have liked like the stealth was sort of dragged back with the augments but it was the idea that your your combat was a little more customizable and a little more approachable than just shooting people in the head the yeah. idea that there was more than one way to get out of a situation was still there but maybe a little more combat focused, and, I, and they're a bit more defined. Those paths, yeah. as well, I think in 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 the in the newer Deus Ex games, it feels like they've designed you three paths rather than in the original, where it genuinely, I'm sure this isn't the case, but it genuinely feels like they made a world and they didn't design paths for you through it. Now, as a designer, I'm sure that's wrong. I'm sure they did, but it doesn't feel that way, and that's that's what's exciting about it. Yeah. So, talking about then volume the game you made mm. when you approach a game like that where it's sort of a game where you're figuring out what you want as the player what you want to do in and to figure out the solution is it did you look at games like deus ex in terms of we're going to give the player the tools to do this more than thomas was alone which is like there is a correct way to do this and that's sort of it yeah yeah i think yeah that was i mean that was very much the objective with volume was to try and make kind of the hitman metal gear deus ex mashup that i'd always wanted 
Um, but but I think what had what happened with that was um, I realized that I wanted a modern player to use every system. So when we we put in, you know, you've got lots of different tools and gadgets in volume. We don't actually give you a combat option. You can't ever hurt the enemy. Yeah. Uh, you can stun them temporarily, but you can never kind of kill an enemy. Um, just because I thought that it would be interesting to make a game that didn't give you that option that actually forced you to use tools interestingly. Well, it goes back but to that cardboard life... box Metal Gear Solid 2 thing. Where exactly, yeah. there you go, yeah. it's it's the uh, it, To me, that's the interesting option in those games. And I kind of, I felt like there were enough other players, there were, which is why Volume did as well as it did, I think, was there, there were audience members who wanted yeah, that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... So that was good, uh, but what was interesting was, and this is this is this is very telling of kind of the period I learned to be a designer in, uh, where this stuff had gone out of fashion. Was when I put this in front of playtesters, you know, all these different gadgets. The playtester would find the one gadget that was interesting to them, or that was easy to them, and they'd use that over and over again. Players will often find the path of least resistance in a game design. They'll work yeah. out what works and then stick to it. Right? Yeah. We've all done that. Yeah. Um, we've all found that one gun in Halo that we like, and then we just stick with that. Whatever. <laughs> And as, a de- and as a designer who was kind of, you know, obviously Volume's quite a low-budget game comparatively to these kind of big AAA projects, um, I wanted to make sure that everyone saw everything and used everything. So I made the decision with Volume to actually constrain your tool use so that you, you go to an environment with nothing and then you pick up stuff as you go. And in that way, kind of, I get to make sure you use everything. Yeah. But in the, And that was a good idea, I think. But the, the negative side effect of it is that you actually have less options because you're basically constrained to what we give you in a scene yeah um so i think we we ended up making kind of almost almost deus ex vr missions is where we actually landed (laughs) in terms of like you could use all these interesting tools but we weren't giving you enough possibility space to kind of use them interestingly in lots of ways like you there was definitely more than one solution to every level but there weren't they were all within a very confined it it was more uh, of a potential here are some tools so there are multiple ways to finish this level but there is a correct way for each tool exactly yeah and that was that was the point where i i think i think given the constraints we were under i don't think we could have i don't think we could have made dishonored you know i don't think we were (laughs) able to do that but it's definitely something that going forward in my design it's something i want to explore more of is giving more player choice um so we'll see. We'll see. I'll talk to you again in a few years. See yes. if I managed it. When you when you somehow get off Isla Defino. Although you're being a good sport and you're oh, I forgot. Yeah, sorry, I forgot. You're right. well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> you can you can I'm, you can sort of in hindsight think of volume and uh that's what, it. I'll what sell you on my it. island dreaming of the games I could yeah. have made. So while that'd you're be, playing Deus Ex and Metal Gear, you can think about like, what if I did this in volume? It like similar to this in deus ex you'll notice i'm not taking any of my games to the island right that's that's definitely it's very rare that devs do that but um has a dev done that yes that's awesome that's awesome good on them i i i I wish i loved my work that much that'd be great (laughs) some of the reasoning though is very solid like when you make a game i don't know if you apply this school of thought i mean you play you you make a game that you want that you like yeah. the ideas that you take from games that you like, like Deus Ex and Metal Gear, and you put them into a game that you want to. You're like, what if Metal Gear and Deus Ex, the, <laughs> those teams work together to make a game? Like that's the kind of I, I imagine some thought process behind it. I see the logic of that. I see the logic of that. I guess the where I differ is that while I always make, I always try to make the game I want. 
um i think the act of making it i never actually managed to achieve <laughs> I, my goals are always higher than what i actually make um so i think i will always like, i'll always be disappointed by what i make you <laughs> you, 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 it's always that i have these ideas now i wish i could give them to hideo to make that's it for me exactly <laughs> and, and, and one day i may have that power in industry but right now unfortunately <laughs> the only person who can make the games i want to exist is me so we're, we're limited we're limited well we are going to move on to your next game now and this is a game that uh, i i still haven't had chance to play i was lucky enough to play it last year and i was very impressed by it but um since the uh aforementioned zelda breath of the wild i've not been able to sort of look at open world games in the same way and um this is a game that we've spoken about a little bit on the show in terms of coming out maybe at the wrong time um because it maybe will not get as much justice in terms of how good of a game it really is um because the the standard for an open world game bar might have been set a little higher than usual um thanks to zelda being this crazy systematic world where every fucking thing is interactable um but we are going to talk mm. about this next game now so let's listen to some music and let's dive straight into it game mike on your list uh this is the first time this game has appeared obviously it's very fresh in uh everyone's mind and it was only released uh at the tail end of february i think in the u.s and uh on the first of march in europe so it is very very recent this year um so it is yet to appear we have spoken about it in relative terms to another open world game that came out on the same weekend uh, but this <laughs> Which is, is crazy right? <laughs> exactly and it's it, it's weird because both were so i think it was a good thing that this game came out just that little bit first because the reviews for this game i'm not going to say influence or you comparing a game to this and that but the this the bar gets set and then people's minds sort mm. of change so the reviews of this game were very strong very very strong it were reviewed incredibly well it's a game I'm looking forward to in maybe six months down the line when I've sort of looking for a new open world game to play. I'm looking forward to playing. I played a little bit last year and it felt fantastic and it looked beautiful. It is, of course, Guerrilla Games' brand new open world sort of action role playing stealth hunting combination. Mm -hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn. Mike. This game only came out recently. We very rarely get games that are so fresh in our memory coming on the I've show. I've done the classic. The classic. It's the 
is it high fidelity i want to say there's a joke in high fidelity about <laughs> when people are putting together the list of their top five they'll always sneak in a modern they'll one always just to sneak feel in. a bit more current yeah and this is this is that one for me is i've got a lot of nostalgia on the list um it's just it's just to me it's brilliant like i genuinely just love the game um specifically because it just felt so fresh open world games i think this is it's it's you know you you bring up zelda and it's totally true of zelda as well open world games had definitely hit a rut for a while where there was a pattern and i while i play a lot of open world games i was getting tired of that yeah i don't think i'm ever gonna play another assassin's creed game in my life not to name names i'm intrigued well you just did you said assassin's creed um (laughs) (laughs) i um i uh yeah assassin's creed's a great example of a game that for the first few games i loved and then it became a bit of a slog and at the at the time of release for one and two Mm. there just wasn't anything like it but the more going back to clones more games look at those games for inspiration taking okay this is what's working in the games industry right now you know we saw it with first person shooters it's it happens almost with every genre and uh just assassin's creed became a victim of its own success in a way that there needed to be reinvention and the two games that came out very very close to each other that are open world Mm. games just did their own things that completely change up the genre yeah, which is interesting, right? Because I think the the thing that often is overlooked by players is how bloody long these games take to make. So I think it, you know it's it's easy to look at game at both Horizon and Zelda as kind of reactions to how you yeah. know where Assassin's Creed went. In reality, I think both of them are effectively reactions to Far Cry Three. That's my that's my assumption. Like at the time, is, yeah, it's. It's given like, like the timing that's the game that was out yeah i think horizon zero dawn during an early stage i think i think both zelda and horizon zero dawn sort of started around 2011 that's the times i've heard and that's you know that's nearly six years ago you think yeah, about exactly. what games are out then compared to what games are out now so when did far cry 3 i'm gonna check now when did far cry 3 come out i think it was 2012 something like that yeah, 2012, so winter of 2012. So both so came out at a very early stage in both those games' development. Yeah. And to me, both of those games feel like they're building on or reacting to that game. I think it's going to be really interesting in the coming years. Like, we're going to see other games. There's always this kind of delay between them. Um, but what was interesting to me about Horizon was it feels like a great Ubisoft game. That It's taken all of those Ubisoft lessons... Um, but been a bit more, I guess, creative with them and kind of shifted things around. The yeah. big thing for me is the is the combat design, is the what they've done with those those dinosaurs, basically, and that taking something a genre that is always about human on human combat, um, and or human on you know raccoon combat, human on um, humanoid like. <laughs> Yeah, or, or animals, but animals that are basically just bullet sponges that you, you kill by shooting them a lot. Yeah. Um, and actually went, no, let's make a game which is about hunting what would be a boss fight in a traditional game. Like, yeah. And, and having, like, sh- you know, aiming for specific body parts, using kind of rock, simple kind of rock, paper, scissor. The, um, the game it reminded me the most of when I played it. I played it last year. Um, like the very short demo I had with it. The game, it like, instantly, because I didn't get to check out the open world, obviously, in that time. So it was all focused on the combat the game it reminded me the most of is monster hunter like it was Mm. like akin to that like you use traps you aim for different body parts you weaken it you 
you do everything like a hunter, like that you would, and it it felt like just grown up, not grown up, but big boy monster hunter, like console monster hunter, is what it felt like. And yeah, very westernized as well. Yeah. Which, which fits my tastes. I you yeah, know I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I think as well, and this probably shouldn't be a consideration, but like as a developer, you know, I often look at like the the, the development studios and the kind of the stories going on there, and seeing Gorilla, who had basically been making Killzone games forever, only Killzone, only Killzone games, right? And Killzone, <laughs> Killzone's a weird franchise in that it's it's never been it's never been anyone's favorite like it's never been a superstar franchise yeah. it was always basically ticking a box for playstation to have a, a, a shooter franchise right it's it's and the, it kind of must it's like on, the, it's like the ridge racer of shooters in a sense that <laughs> there are there are there are games in each type of genre that have always been staples of that genre and everyone can always name them and, and a lot of people have played them but yeah as you said they're no one's favorite <laughs> and that's and that's that's got to be that's got to suck over time right so so there is an aspect as a to me looking at that of going well that isn't that great that like gorilla got to make a game that everyone loves yeah that i'm not going to be able to go to a any kind of nerd event without seeing an aloy cosplayer for five years now yeah like there just will be an aloy cosplayer there that's amazing and that's um, you know, as a developer, I'm kind of like this as well in that I, I, I'm populist. I want to make stuff that, I mean, populist has, has gained some interesting new meanings in the last year or so, so maybe I don't want to describe myself as that anymore. But like, I want, I want to, I want my work to be popular. Well, I want it to of course, like, hit pop culture and be a, be a, have a reputation like that. And so I look at something like uh, this and I think, well, good on the, good on the team at Gorilla for kind of jumping someone described it as the jump that naughty dog made from um jack and daxter to uncharted like yeah. it's a jump in terms of the tier that you're developing in. yeah and i think that's what they've done with this game so it's like, very cool it's the double a to the triple a now you are like the you've yeah. made the jump. you're in and, that top tier of developers now and let's be honest gorilla could have fucked it up because they don't have oh, yeah. the experience making that type of game it's their first type of open world game they have great background in terms of like shooting games but they're making a game all about diversive combat using a bow and arrow and setting traps and just mm -hmm. it takes completely different type of thinking to be able to pull that off and i guess in a good sense it's like someone who's never made something bringing ideas to a very mm -hmm. traditionalist sort of genre and like oh why don't we do this instead it's a little different so you have that mm -hmm. maybe advantage but not to be able to pull it off to the extent that Gorilla did. Like this game, and it's awesome. It is a really good game that was received incredibly well, and has been because of the back of that has been commercially successful as well. I think it's mm. like the most successful brand new IP on the PlayStation Four, which is considering how well the PlayStation Four is doing. That's really good. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great, and it's and fair play to Sony for throwing so much support behind it, and yeah. It's great. It's great when genre hopping pays off. It's very cool to see a studio go do something new. So in terms of taking this to a deserted island then, yeah. this game is an open world game. And having finished it and that kind of thing, do you feel like this is more of a... This is going to take me a long time to get 100% or is this another game mechanic choice like these game mechanics no feel i think great. this is this is i mean the game mechanics are great but i think no it's it's more of kind of it's a world to explore you know um 
into a world to explore in a game context. I definitely don't want to be deserted in the world of Horizon. That would be a bad. <laughs> that would be very bad, bad. life. <laughs> but in terms of uh, having a you know an experience that I can just keep going back to in Delfino, I think it's it's somewhere that would be fun just to go hunting in, just go exploring in, <laughs> um, past the one hundred percent mark. Um, because I just think it is a game it's a game that would hold my attention and be interesting and i think i'd always be finding new experiences within it um so yeah it's i don't play a lot i'm probably coming across in the list i'm an i'm an action game fan like that's 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 my bread and butter as a player yeah um so in terms of replayable experiences yeah open world is a is a logical place for me to go in terms of trying to keep myself entertained for the the 60 years you've promised me <laughs> don't hold me to that dude don't hold me to that. no no you've, it's part of the promise it's, it's part, part of the promise. it's part of the contract you sign <laughs> well if i die before 60 i'll kill you, That's all you <laughs> some sort of metaphysical that's i will call i will haunt you i will haunt you <laughs> Can it can it at least be can the haunting at least be narrated by Danny? Can we have like I get Dan Danny just narrates all of things for me. I I now I go to parties with like an audio an audio book of Danny Wallace to play people. People are always so disappointed because I have a horrible voice. That's why you know you do I, not I have, have a horrible voice. I it's a, it's no, a bit no, nasal. No, 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 it's no, a bit no, annoying. No. But the um but like you know people are genuinely disappointed when I don't sound like Danny when they meet me. I do a pretty good and he knows I do this. I do a pretty good Danny Wallace impression. Please. Uh, that's where the idea originally came uh, from. Was I was listening to his audiobooks. Please. I'm not doing it. Oh come on. But I do a pretty good Danny Wallace impression. I've considered doing that when I meet like you know when someone comes up to me at an event and wants to say hello or whatever. Like just going for it because that's what they want. They want they want Danny Wallace. They want Danny. <laughs> they want Danny. That's okay. We should have we should have got okay. Danny on Final Games instead. Should have got Danny on. He's he 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 knows his games. He knows his games. He'd have been well, great. We'll get it. Oh, we'll well. get him in oh, the future, well. and he'll do the voice. He'll do the voice. I imagine he's great. His well, his Danny his voice. voice is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, speaking of action games being your bread and butter and stealth again, we're going to talk about this mm. next game then on your list, and um, I think. Uh, due to the most recent uh, entry in this series, this series has become back into favor in people mm. after uh, sort of some hit and misses. Uh, but this is very much the one you've chosen from this series is very much the one people hark back to when they think of the pinnacle of this series and also stealth games too, sort of modern stealth games. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game? And let's, of course, dive straight into it. So the next game, coming into the second half now of Mike's final games, and it's another stealth game. It's a sort of less action, 
Like the action in this game is more, uh, let's say, visceral and quick. (laughs) Very quick, very uh, brutal. Um, But it is Mm -hmm. developed by IO Interactive and another game published by IDOS. Um, It was released back in 2006. I thought it was a little older than that, actually, surprisingly. Uh, But it released on PC, PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Xbox 360. It follows the uh, life of professional hitman, Agent 47. And it is, of course, Hitman Blood Money. Mike, please tell me why you're taking Blood Money with you. It's the well. It's the greatest video game ever made. That's oh, the that's the first thing to go. See out the now, way. this is what it I is. like. When someone says that, that's what I like because I want to hear the reasoning as to why this is the greatest game ever. Um, I think I think it's I think I mean the Hitman formula is just really clever. Like the idea of it initially, it goes back to those simulation games like Deus Ex and things. I was going right? to say this is like the the sort of epitome of what you were talking about, giving the player a space Absolutely. and the tools. And sort of reactive tools as well, like you absolutely, have... and it's the satisfying architecture of it. Yeah, and it's something that the, the Deus Ex didn't do. The idea of making um, the map, the location, feel real. You know, it's something that um, I do. A <laughs> one of my, I, I go and do a lot of talks, so I have I have a few kind of core talks that I go back to when I can't think of anything new to talk about. And one of my talks <laughs> that I tour around a little bit, I got I do a twenty minute talk about um, Die Hard. Okay. Um, and the use of uh, architecture in Die Hard and the idea of how the space is relevant. I won't do the whole thing, but like that's what Hitman does, is it uses the location um, incredibly well and incredibly believably to give you opportunity yeah. and to be an interesting thing. Um, I think the, the, the genius of it and where I think it is so clever is that it, it marries that very kind of early 2000s simulation design with a very targeted modern game design sensibility. So modern games, um, you know, as a game designer, my my thing is to constantly let you know what you're meant to be doing because I want you to just get through the content and enjoy yourself and see everything and do everything. So I put, you know, objective markers on your screen. I put lots of information on your screen. Like, yeah. go over there. That's where the fun is, right? Yeah. That's the that's kind of modern Stop game Stop sitting design. in the corner. Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is... Just go over there and have fun. Um, and where... And, and that's the genius of Hitman is by using this idea of the assassination of the... This is the character to kill. They manage to kind of create a simulation that's really neat and interesting and involving, but also... Um, to give you a very clear objective, to give you a very clear outcome, a success criteria, and then let you choose your path towards it. And where the franchise has wavered over the years, yeah. so like something like Absolution, yeah. is where they've moved away from that, and they've they've gone, well, let's actually make this linear and kind of miss the point of why the game works. Um, let's make the player, because in Hitman, the target is the focus like that's what you're yeah. always working the your entire way towards. game revolves that's around the that, target yeah. and the way you get to the target in absolution it's more of hey we know you need to get to the target so follow this path and you will you will make it to the target yeah. in no time at all and uh, there won't yeah. be any experimentation and that kind of thing um, and it misses the point and that's and that that combination that's why that's why i think it's the and I think Blood Money is the best example of it, but Hitman in general, why I think Hitman is incredible, is that it marries the freedom and the direct objective mm, mm. in a way that no other game, or very few other games, have managed to do. Um, Blood Money is the best in the series, just because I think, frankly, the the level design is best is the best. I think the tone as well. I don't think Hitman gets enough credit, or got enough credit back in the day for kind of its 
its tone and that kind of sarcastic, satirical it's very, aspects it's that it black, has. It's like black comedy. It's, it's the blackest of comedy, yeah. and that's that's really neat. It's not meant um, to be serious. I, the dude's bald no. and wears a red tie and a suit. It's like, he looks stupid. <laughs> when you see people who cosplay him, they, they look so funny, because they just look so But it odd. is good. If you're, if you're a white, bald guy, then you have a cosplay for life. For like, life. That's good. That's, just draw that's a barcode good. on the back of your head, and you're fine. <laughs> but, it, but it looks so odd, right? He, he doesn't look natural oh, the whole thing is ridiculous and, <laughs> and and i think the earlier games were more more willing i guess in, there's an echo there of the metal gear solid thing but i think the earlier games were more willing to enjoy that silliness and i think i definitely got the impression with the newest hitman that they were the humor wasn't as much of an element there was still little funny bits and moments but like it didn't feel like they were making the points like and blood money every level is playing with the idea of the corruption and the evil of the people you're you're taking out and how that is shown in the world the kind of the the seediness and the kind of the unpleasantness of the people you're trying to kill is 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 a big part of it and and balances out the fact that it is a game about targeting people for murder you know it's you're not the good guy <laughs> you are not but the if you good make guy the, you are but a... if you make the bad guy the really bad you can kind of be an anti-hero and that, that works <laughs> um the other thing with blood money so the, the crucial answer to your question why take blood money yeah is because if there's one thing that the newest hitman has shown me it's that i played blood money wrong um i one of the really interesting things about the new hitman is it kind of got me playing hitman in the way i think the designers have always wanted me to play it in terms of trying different approaches going back seeing how different paths would work through the game when i played blood money i played it through a few times now but the most recent time was a couple of years ago three years ago maybe um whenever i've gone back and played it i'm always playing it mainly relying on the silence pistol mainly you know maybe dabbling in some of the, yeah. the carving that's in there but not really seeing all the corners of it again i think that's a theme of what we're talking about doing what you like, think an assassin would do exactly and i think actually what the newest one with it's kind of constantly reminding you of other objectives and that kind of ticking things off you're very clearly not meant to play each map once and whenever i've played blood money i've played it like a traditional game complete a level move on to the next one and i need you know i've i've definitely mentally set aside a period at some point to go back and play blood money and 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 really play out each of the levels what i'm hoping for is that they'll go back and they'll do me a re-release that adds all of those objective mark all the all the objectives and challenges and everything from the from the episodic one to blood money that would be the i'd love to go back and play it with like ticking things off and finding all that content you know that's so that's, could, that's what i want i want some time like to play a... We could give you like a notepad and a pen and you could make your own objectives. I could make my own, exactly. Um, so this one might be, yeah, this one, I kind of need IO to make the version of the game I want to play. Um, so, so let's role play this. Maybe. Let's do what we do special on Final Games. Let's pretend we yeah. got IO Interactive to do that. Oh, there's a mod. There must be a mod out there. For... There must be a mod. Someone's so, making So that. let's pretend there is a mod it, yeah. exists that they've played the latest game, the very aforementioned Hitman, um, naming conventions in games. Because that's how we name games. That's how now. we name that's games. How now. We, we can't. I can't wait for just Thomas was alone. Just, <laughs> just, just a new game. <laughs> <laughs> just a new game called Thomas was alone. It's almost worth making. That. <laughs> but let's pretend there's a mod out there then, and they've taken uh, inspiration from Hitman, and they've made Blood mm. Money this objective-based game where kill enemy by doing this, doing this, doing this, mm -hmm. where this. 
there, you can have it. Like, for 60 years now, you can play this game where it's it's like that one, but not that one. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one you like that has the best parts of the latest one and i want to and i can i can go around and i can see all of that content and all of that that amazing kind of nuance that they put into that world and that's it i want to i want to play blood money again in that way but it was it was incredible and, and hitman in general just feels it feels like a very clever modernization of games like deus ex and thief and and i think is more successful than the modern incarnations of both deus ex and thief because it kind of i feel like it got what the point of those games was i like it so is it it's not quite the greatest game then it needs that mod and then it's the greatest game right i think it's the greatest game i think i just play it wrong okay that's why i I need the mods to make me good enough (laughs) to truly experience its genius that's all i need (laughs) well we're gonna move on to your next game then and we're stepping away Mm from stealth but due to the 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 elements of this game you could quite make your own stealth game in it um so i'm very interested to know why you've chosen this next game so let's listen to some great music this this game has such a lovely soundtrack to it some great math rock on it as well so let's listen to some (laughs) some excellent music and let's dive straight into it So changing things up a bit now then, Mike, we are mm. moving into your next game. Um, this one is, I don't know really how to describe this game. I essentially, a puzzle platformer would be uh, my mm-hmm. definition if we were going to categorize this game. Um, at, th- at that at the time was like this brand new IP that sort of took the world by storm at one point and uh, we were seeing the this game's mascot everywhere. Sony were throwing it around as much as they could, like, look how recognizable this guy is and... Uh, um, We've sort of not really seen much since, uh, which is a shame because it's mm. such a great, great game. Uh, but I'm very interested to hear why you've chosen Media Molecules, uh, PlayStation 3 title that released in 2008, Little Big Planet. And it's also a first. Uh, this is the first time Little Big Planet. Oh, it's a little bit. Any of them, or have people chosen different Little Big Planet games? Uh, no, I believe Little Big Planet, this is the first time that uh, any oh, game wow. in the series has appeared on the show. Now, depending, it's a lot of responsibility. The, depending on what the reasoning is for taking it, um, there is a couple of directions as to why other people might have chosen different games. So I'm very interested to hear why. So I'm cheating the system here. Yes. Um, I cannot imagine going any length of time without the ability to make something i knew that was the reason to have one game (laughs) yep so i'm assuming other designers have had the same yes so we've had games like so what did they choose so we've had games of course we've had mario maker 
We've had mm-hmm. Minecraft being able to sort of program the stones and stuff in that and make your own stuff. Uh, we've had other games along a similar vein to that yeah. have these sort of creative elements to them. We've had games like, you know, WarioWare DIY, where you can make your own mini mm-hmm. games in that game. Um, but one I've I've had in the back of my mind as being one of those every time we've spoken is Little Big Planet. I think I even yeah. compared why I'm going to do the same thing to you now, um, why a dev chose a game like Mario Maker over a game like Little Big Planet in terms of its creation tool. So why mm. is Little Big Planet the, let's say, the engine of choice for you to take uh, to final games? And that's it. And if I felt I would have gotten away with Unity, I probably would have put Unity <laughs> in there. I think that was probably <laughs> what well, I was cheating. Um, yeah, no, I think Little Big Planet for me specifically, it's the tools are nice like it's actually got some nice design in those in those tools um i think for me it's crucially it's the freedom it gives you and, and i mean i I've, I've chosen little big planet but kind of different the different little big planet games have different stuff yeah and maybe you'd let me take little big planet 3 maybe or little big planet 2 or whatever we could we could work that out on the boat <laughs> um but the um <laughs> but the idea of like being able to make games in different genres or make games that are not bespoke. I think that's often the, the case when you get something like Mario Maker, which is awesome, but you use it to make Mario, Mario games. Mario games, okay, yeah. You know. It's uh, um, maybe... It, as awesome as Mario is. As limit, It's limited to a point. You can make the Yeah, there's, make oh, there's the people craziest, doing amazingly creative work. Mario games, but you're always making Mario games. Exactly, exactly, and, and 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 there's fun as well to work within that constraint. There's a lot of fun to be had playing with Mario Maker and deliberately making something that isn't very Mario-y. Mario-y. <laughs> Mario-y. mario We've invented like five <laughs> words on this podcast already. I, <laughs> I do um, that fairly often. I'm very bad at speaking. I'm not eloquent in the slightest. No, well, I hire people to say my words for me, which is much easier. Um, but like there's, there is a, yeah, there is a, still constraint there and i I like the idea of little big planet is obviously you can make various different genres of games various different kinds of stuff and i think that would be the thing that kept me sane because i just don't if i'm being completely honest i enjoy making games more than i like playing games um i get that i get that from a lot of people yeah and because it's awesome like making stuff is amazing um it's not that i don't like games i i love playing games but i just really love making games so the idea of like continuing a life without being able to do the thing that i i love work-wise yeah just it doesn't doesn't appeal and i'm sure i'm sure if you have people um have you had have you had um like game journalists who want to have games that allow them to write is that a thing that's no that's that's never been something that's come up i i don't think that's interesting i think that's interesting i think the idea is you would assume you had some sort of pen and paper with you You, obviously you're not going to do a deserted island completely empty-handed in terms of being able to survive that's very uh, that's very that's very kind of you to to give me that but the um no for me the idea of like i just need to be making stuff um i I, the longest I've gone in my adult life was um, I went on holiday for a couple of weeks and not being able to make something. Like, usually I take my laptop with me and even on holiday I'll sit and I'll, I'll code a little thing or make something. Bust an idea um, out. Yeah, but like, you know, forcing myself to not work for a couple of weeks was genuinely stressful. I just don't like <laughs> it. I like... I, I My my idea of the perfect day is, is, is coding for a day. That would be a lovely not having to deal with anything else, not having to do any meetings or go and do any events or press or anything like that. Just sit and work. Um 
So yeah, Little Big Planet is basically the way I'm going to sneak that onto the island. So That's my plan. do you have a lot of experience with Little Big Planet and the creation tools it gives you? Are you like, uh, th this feels like probably one of the most important choices in this list for for you i think because i'm constrained by it for the rest of my yeah, life yeah you know you yeah, yeah. i'm guaranteeing you the 60 years because the contract says so so i have yeah. to give you the choice of making this very big decision where for the next 60 years i mean you went on holiday and you got stressed out if if you go to this island and you're not going to be able to create something i mean you're just going to <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to, you're obviously you're going to give me unlimited disk space to save my creations. Yes. Probably I can't share them online because no. that would be a social yeah. interaction. Well, the thing is um, that you're not allowed to. I can save them, and when I die, someone can find them and. Well, we, we can my, we can have an agreement. Life. You seem like a good sport, and um, that's very kind of you. And <laughs> as long as you're not like spelling out help me in text on the side of one of the levels, uh, or I can't promise I won't do that though. See. I've got. Now you're being honest with me. I've got to be honest with you. I might do that. See, like um, it, I, I can. I might do that. If you give me the freedom, I can't promise you. <laughs> Thirty years down the line, you know, I've got. I, I just. I'm. I'm dying for a little bit of rain, you know, or like <laughs> a snow, a bit of snow or something. I can't. I can't promise you. I wouldn't betray you in that way. See, um, so don't give me the freedom. Well, give me the freedom. I'll let but you down. Don't you want that feedback? Like, isn't it worth? Is it worth making I, levels I, for the I'll rest? I'll take of it. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Get, by all means, give me that freedom. I, I, I love it. I, I love the feedback. I'm I love the audience. I'm looking but in I your eyes, and uh, you know, you know, I'm going to betray you. Don't you? I can see and the glint that you're going to betray me. Yeah. So, so, but, <laughs> yeah. So, in terms of tools, I've played with Little Big Planet a little bit. Um, not much because the pro. I mean, partially because I'd rather use professional tools, but you're not going to give me those because they're not video games. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm impressed by how user friendly it is. Genuinely, like it's a bit it's slower, obviously, than using like bespoke professional tools. But like in terms of like accessibility and making that stuff like understandable to someone who's not you know working in industry, it's very impressive. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think they'd be cool tools to have. I've made some levels for things. I've made some little big planet levels. Um, they they weren't very good because I made them <laughs> back when I was. 19 or so or 20 or something i was gonna say this is on so the think, precipice of you becoming a designer this is like yeah little big planet was the game so when in. you say it was 2006 so i would have been yeah i was just just coming into industry at that point and uh it's one of my memories actually one of the first games i worked on i won't say which where the um where the publisher asked us if we could add a little big planet style level editor to it uh, six months before release. Oh yeah, of course. And we said, no, no, we we really can't. That's not how that's not how anything works. But uh, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> so, nice try. <laughs> nice try. You gave it. You gave it a go. You tried to squeeze it in there. Um, but yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think if I yeah if I'm if I'm constrained to games, I think that's the because it's and it gives me the freedom because I also loved um, Time Splitter Two had a really nice level editor, but it was very high level. It didn't give you much freedom. Um, I've not tried the I've heard the Doom level editor. The new Doom is awesome. I've not tried that yet. I've seen some people. But that really still fits in the category it. of. It's still making Doom levels. You're making right? like, that genre like. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to be constrained because I might love. You know, I might love Doom now, but will I love Doom in sixty years? Fifty nine years. <laughs> well no, sixty years I'm dead, so that's fine. Okay. So fifty nine years, that's you know, I've got a year <laughs> to do the project before <laughs> it goes wrong. So 
does this not inspire you in some way for a future game from Bithel Games to be a game that has a creation tool element because if we talk about i mean volume does volume has a level editor but to the extent people do make levels for to the extent like little big planet like you can make use of generated content for volume but it's always going to be volume Uh, sure to the extent why would you want to make anything else (laughs) sorry i don't understand (laughs) you want to make thomas was alone levels come on i i think someone has actually i think someone's used those tools to make something um but yeah no I, i i think honestly i think it doesn't excite me in the way it does the media molecule folks if you look at the media molecule like the stuff they're doing with the the dreams project um like it's fascinating but it doesn't my creativity it's a horrible thing to say my creativity is not about helping your creativity i don't enjoy it's a i'm selfish i want to make stuff (laughs) myself i don't want to make stuff that helps you make stuff yeah um that probably means i'm a bad person no but it's i think it means that you want you're not someone who wants to allow people to have their own experiences. You want to make an experience for other people to enjoy. Yeah. And then them to exactly. be like, Mike, thank you for role. this Mike experience. Thank you for this. I really yeah. enjoyed it. That would be lovely. That would be lovely. But And that's the... So I, I think, being honest, like I'd rather let other people who really want... Because Media Molecule want to create that, that opportunity for you to be creative. That's a big part of everyone there is is really into that and really wants to give you the player that opportunity mm. i don't um so it's probably better that they're they, they keep they're in control i sent yeah. to an island <laughs> i get sent to an island so it's irrelevant anyway but like yeah i think that's probably that probably makes more sense <laughs> well we will allow you to take little big planet and um you See, you're not going to be tied to the PlayStation Network, so we're not going to see what you're making. Usually we have guests who make Mario Maker levels and they want to upload them and that kind of thing. And they promise me they won't betray me. But I'm glad, I'm, I'm very thankful. You've got to keep me, so I, am, I think I'm contractually obligated to be on PSN now. I might have to check some paperwork and make sure that I'm allowed to unplug. I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Well, we'll as you said, we'll talk about it on the boat. The nitty gritty okay. will work out on the boat, but the That's next. Fair. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> We're going to move into the next game now, and um, sort of. I'm not really sure where this fits in the sort of the timeline of the games. Obviously, Little Big Planet was the standout sort of difference so far, but it had that reason as to why you were taking it with it, it was the creation tools, um, not so much the game itself. But this game is sort of. It's not a stealth game. It's not really an action game either. It's a puzzle game, so very similar to threes in that sense. But it is linear. Um, it has ways of figuring out and multiple ways, but the tool you always use is one tool. So I'm very interested mm-hmm. to hear why you've chosen this next game. So let's listen to one of the most cliched songs of all time and something that I couldn't go to any corner of the internet without looking at back in 2008, nine, or whatever it was. Um, but let's listen to it. And let's, of course, dive straight into the second to last game. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. 
So the second to the last game on Mike's list today before we send him on the boat to the wonderful Delfino Island is a game developed mm. by Valve and it released back in 2007, 10 years ago now, coming up to the 10 year anniversary of this game. It's a puzzle platformer that, um, although so unique and so incredible and we have so many people this is one of the games where you feel like there would be an incredible amount of clones but because of just how recognizable that one game mechanic is mm. no one's really done it because you're just like that's that's this that's this that's this you can't copy that that's theirs mm. um so it sort of stands out on its own in that kind of way it is of course the puzzle platformer portal mike where are you coming at with portal so portal um for me i mean portal <laughs> it's not it's the great. greatest game ever it's not we've already it's not the greatest game we've already ever established that's that. been that's been taken but it is um for me it's it's just the best two hours of game ever I think it's probably the better way of putting it like I think uh, it's like a movie to me. It's a it's a game I go back to over and over again just to re-experience that two or three hour kind of, and especially obviously once you've played it once and you know the puzzles, over, you know, it's a couple of hours um, kind of experience. I, I love its world. I love its characters. I love its writing. Um, it's, it's just perfect. And you say there's not many clones, but I think if, while there aren't any direct clones, definitely the, the kind of the puzzle first-person shooter... Mm. Or first, sorry, first-person puzzler, I guess, or whatever the kind of gadget-based first. Well, you like could, that's definitely a genre. Yeah, you could say this sort of refined it, but Half-Life Two definitely started it with the gravity. But Half-Life Two, you still shot people. Yeah, but you're, you, you're right. You, gravity, yeah. the gravity gun, it yeah. is an extrapolation of that. But if you look past, you know, if you look after Portal, like there are so many first-person puzzle games. The indie community really jumped on this and, and made a load of awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, as they should. But as you say, like the specifically the idea of playing with portals you, is so iconic, you can't you can't copy it. You can't you can't go there because it's so obvious who you're stealing from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> orange, blue, so, which is great. portals. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it's kind of... It's been done at this point. And orange and blue are the best choices because they're complementary colors. Yeah. It's that teal and orange thing going on. Yeah. It, it, it's... It works. It's beautiful. It's a lovely game. A uh, great world. I'm taking Portal not because I want to play it every day on the island, but I definitely want to play it like once every couple of years. Okay. Um, if I'm if I'm establishing my own society of one, Portal's going to be a national holiday. Portal's going to be a thing <laughs> that you know. The- as I'm as I'm as I'm as I'm writing my notches on the cave wall. I'm actually no. I'm in Delfino, so I'll have a nice villa. One of the as villas. I'm, as I'm, as I'm putting a notch on the wall of the villa, every 500 notches, I play Portal. I think that's a good... It's not a game... I think often with uh, with the kind of games that are selected on this show and that I would select and I have selected, they're about kind of how do we keep Mike occupied all this time. Portal is, is something to come back to. It's a fine, delicate game to come back to every now and again. But I think in terms of marrying its story and its puzzles... Yeah that's very much the other side of my taste you know as you're rightly saying like action stealth and puzzle is the other ingredient like 
taking that narrative and that and that structure of puzzles like it's just amazing it's just amazing what they created and and it's something that i learned a lot from i remember playing portal um i think as i was making thomas was alone or just before i started making thomas was alone and just being so inspired by what that storytelling was and how voiceover was used you know often voiceover is not something people talk a lot about in terms of games and it's it's an aspect of storytelling that's so important to Portal. Portal doesn't have any NPCs. It doesn't have any physical characters. I mean, you could say the turrets maybe are NPCs, but that would yeah, be stretching. It would things. be stretching it. It would be. They're more. But it's 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 a story told. It's a radio play. It's an audio book, and that became such an interesting part of the storytelling that I think that definitely had an influence on on the choice to go with Thomas was alone. I was Thomas was alone. Earlier yeah. drafts of Thomas was alone were very much more Portal in their humor. They were much more. Um, we actually, I actually have recordings. There was a version of Thomas was alone where uh, Danny Wallace would take the piss out of you if you died. Like he'd he'd be like, "Well, Thomas was not that stupid," or stuff like that. <laughs> and I end up removing it because the because getting Danny Wallace to insult you is just so cruel because he's so nice. <laughs> You're really it, it feels really bad. He got into it. He was being really judgmental. It could have been. I still got those audio files somewhere. It could have been, could have been a something. little Stanley Parable esque and been a, just a bit more of a commentary, yeah. not so much at insulting like. Well, the real Thomas. It didn't fit. It didn't fit the been. tone. Yeah, Thomas was alone became kind of fairy tale as we went, and yeah. so it's definitely Danny's performance did. So, but no, I think I think Portal for me is that game that it, it definitely came out and influenced me at, a, at an important moment. And also, yeah. though, it is a game I keep going back to. And it's a game I wanna I wanna keep going back to while I'm while I'm living on the island. Well, it was, I think it, I believe it was October eighth, maybe that Portal released. Uh, so when we come up to the 10 year anniversary that can be the start of your annual portal holiday and um, that's it i think that's that's going to be observed by me uh for all of my life um, <laughs> and for every portal at holiday when you know you're on the 59th portal holiday you can that's when i should start you can start saying, making arrangements. Yeah, you can start making writing the will to the whole of Delfino, who inherits Delfino Island. Do I own Delfino? Well, in no one I else is some kind no of prisoner. Else, no one else is going to be there, so yes. Cool. Not that you. That's could. that's. I mean, I won't enjoy it, but hopefully, my descendants will. That's good. <laughs> Maybe I'd have to banish. I need them. to. I need to have some descendants before I go to the island. That's <laughs> something to prioritize. Well, I'll you've, get on you've that. got a. You've got about half an hour. I don't know. I I don't know. We'll give me forty five minutes. We'll see. I don't know. Like, I'll, give it, I'll give it a try. This is going to go in a very bad direction. I think we should. Uh, we should. We should. We should definitely abort. Move abort, on. Yeah. We should definitely move on to the final game. Of course. Yes. The final game we have to talk about, and um, I think this must be, this must be another one of uh, the games on your list that, like Portal. It, it's a game that mechanically and not so much narratively, but it has a point A to point B. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know whether you're gonna which version you're gonna be taking. So maybe you could play this game online um, as long as you're not screaming down a microphone. Help me! Uh, we'll just take the microphone away from you so you can just play the online matches. But I'm I'm very interested to. It's see. a game you don't want to play with a headset on anyway. No, really, that's very probably. true. You did say action was your yeah. bread and butter, but realistically apart from maybe horizon we haven't had too much action we've had very mm. methodical stealth games uh you could play deus ex very action but this game is balls to the walls you are the hero let's shoot every goddamn alien in the face 
and let's just be done with it. So let's, of course, move into listening to some oh, quite excellent music. This is such a great soundtrack, too. So let's jump mm. into Mike's final game. So we are now getting ready to put Mike on the boat. Um, uh, hopefully he's got his bags <laughs> packed because he's on a bit of a time schedule to fit in quite a numerous amount of things um, to do before he leaves. Um, and then we're going to send him, send him on his way to the, his, his brand new island that he owns. Um, but the next game he's going to be taking with him is, uh, just as I said, action. And one of the, I think, finest examples of an action game. One that will stand the test of time for mm. the fact that this game was released 16 years ago now and you could pick it up today and it would feel fantastic and you'd still enjoy it solidly if you like action games. It's of course developed by Bungie and had a weird development where it was going to be on Apple, then Microsoft and all manner of different platforms but it was of course finally published by Microsoft Game Studios. It released for the original Xbox PC, and we've since seen re-releases of this game. It is of course, mm. the military science fiction first-person action game from 2001, Halo Combat Evolved. Mike, why is the last game, the final game, you're taking with you? Halo. Um, I think this one was... I, I'm, I'm thinking about my time on the island. I'm thinking about... I'm gonna get lonely, and I was thinking to what what's the best multiplayer experience I've had, and this is what this is why Halo's on the list. So I hope you'll allow me some multiplayer in Halo. I will. Um, Halo was the because I, I I obviously had it on Xbox um, on the original Xbox, and we would uh, me and my friends would would do LAN parties with it. We would we would gather around like the mate who had the biggest living room, and we'd each bring a TV and an Xbox, and we'd put the TVs back to back. And we all sit on the floor around playing. I think we did manage sixteen player one time, and it was beautiful. And, and you just you and you'd have different you know banks of four on each machine, and it was something. It was just something I loved doing. It was something we had like we. I think it was. I think it literally like every Sunday for a, a good year we would just meet up and and play Halo and and then we tried other games and it was never as much fun. So we always ended up going back to Blood Gulch in Halo, um, and then. I, and then and that was awesome and that was just you know how i spent my my weekends with my friends um but then i remember when i went to university 
um, they had um, essentially for online for internet uh, for the in the dorms they had a LAN connection. Yeah. Um, and of course you couldn't play. There was no Xbox Live at that point for for Halo, and none of us could get Xbox Live anyway because we were all poor students. <laughs> what we realized was if we plugged in our Xboxes to the LAN for the entire university and we were the only people in the entire university doing it we could effectively play LAN across campus with each other nice um and we kept it seat we didn't tell anyone we were doing this and we definitely didn't tell any other students because we knew that once it was known everyone would try and do it and we'd all just be cross chat it wouldn't work and i remember like you'd you'd use again a time when uh you know mobile phones were hot were more expensive so we would use like the 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 phone the phone in the in the dorm to like call the other dorm and be like right when i say press a okay okay press a <laughs> you'd like be syncing up a land game with someone who was you know quarter of a mile away on the other side of campus um and then it was the best multiplayer experience because you'd, you'd again be playing that. And I think there was just something about Halo and the way me and my friends all played it and, and it was just a social gathering thing. So yeah, to being able to take a version of Halo that I can play online. Um, and yep, without voice comms, because if you're not playing with your friends, Halo is yeah. a very popular game with 13-year-olds. It doesn't really doesn't really work with the, with the headphone. <laughs> I'm happy to give up that. There'll be no attempts at using that to get the word out to the outside world. Um but yeah, so it just kind of it was a yeah, it's the best the best fun I've ever had with a multiplayer game. And as you say as well, such just such an important game in terms of taking first person shooters to console. You know, the uh, like until then, Goldeneye. I guess I guess Halo is my Goldeneye. I'm a bit young for Goldeneye. I went back and played Goldeneye, having played Halo, and hated it because it does because Halo just defined how you know how a shooter should work on a controller, in my opinion. Um, and it was it was interesting going back to Goldeneye. Someone who never played Goldeneye, um, yeah, didn't hold up. But Halo, I think, <laughs> still does. Well, it definitely does. As I said, it's one of those games that mechanically, just for I, it's not going to age. It's impossible for it to age. Mm. It's just so solid, um, and it feels so good in your hands. It is one of those games, and it's funny you're saying about university. Um, some of the best times I had in university coming a few years later after you only a few playing halo 3 and uh halo reach halo reach is my halo of choice like the multiplayer in that oh, game okay. is some of the finest multiplayer experiences i've ever had and um i can definitely understand where you're coming from and yeah as you said without your friends you're not gonna be, you're not gonna want to be on microphone so i'm gonna trust you I think that's very kind. Did I? I'm trying to remember. Did the original Halo have 16 player multiplayer? Or am I remembering that wrong? It might have been eight player. I'm just inflating the size of my group of friends in my memory, maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to think. But yeah, it's amazing. Just playing that over land. No, you can have oh, 16. You can have thing. 16 in Halo. In the original Halo, yeah, yeah, you can yeah, have yeah. 16. Yeah, it was like. Oh, a, cool. Okay. The, the, I'm not remembering that wrong. The player limit was okay. 16. I'm not sure if... Some... So I remember we just we just played Blood Gulch over and over and over, which is the dullest map in Halo. But we would just play that over and over and over together. <laughs> How do you feel then, like, the series has gone on? Obviously, we're coming into, like, soon, I imagine, the sixth edition of, not counting the spin-offs, like, yeah. the mainline series is coming out. Obviously, the multiplayer has done some changes. Obviously, we saw in four... Um, sort of a big change in terms of making it a little more like i don't know at the time it seems a little more like titanfall ish although the game came mm. just before the the idea of changing up your movement and 
previously limiting the player to I mean even Halo Reach sort of expanded by giving you power-ups but you had to go get those power-ups but allowing yeah. the players sort of modern how, do you still play Halo do you still buy the new version every time or yeah no it's definitely it's definitely been a I've definitely lost interest definitely over oh, time okay. I, I think I think part of that I do still play them I, I, I do pick them up when they come out and play them but um I think I think part of it is I aged out of it a little bit. I think it's a it's a very teenage game. Like it's very in terms of like the story, in terms of the world. Like I definitely I loved it when I was a teenager and and kind of less interested in that world. Also, frankly, tripped up over the lore. Like all of that stuff that like you have to read four books to understand who that character is. But if you know who that character is, then it's awesome kind of thing. I I lost out on that because I never read any of the novels or okay, the, yeah. the comics or so without that knowledge with someone all that sort of stuff all of that stuff like I just played the games and and I think from about I think from about three onwards I was and especially with Reach actually I was incredibly aware that they were referencing stuff I didn't know and it was it felt I I didn't feel like it was a story I was invested in in the okay. same way as I used to be. Um, so I, I think I, I think that was the story kind of lost me in terms of gameplay. I I always like it when it pulls towards the silly. I mean, silliness is definitely a theme of the conversation. Yeah, right? like I absolutely. definitely liked yeah. the Halo games. I think when it's tried to pull itself closer to the Call of Duties, that's when it's been less exciting for me. So yeah, I, I think the more the more silliness, the better. But um, yeah, I think it's honestly, I think it's the lore thing. I think it's I've, I've I've I feel like Halo's not for me anymore because I don't read the books because I don't know the 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 meaning of those worlds. I loved. I mean, I think that's another aspect of Halo that's often overlooked is it came out. It's two thousand one, right? Halo. Yep. yep. So I mean, it came out two thousand one. It's a story about Marines fighting a a religious, you know, attacker. It was very culturally relevant at the at time. The time. Yeah. And I think it resonated genuinely. I think as as a teenager, as a two thousand one, so sixteen year old again, um, in that world with all that stuff going on in the news, like yeah. I did find a connection to it. I'm, you know, maybe I maybe I'm putting too much on you know what is a silly brightly colored shooter, <laughs> but there was some there was some stuff that was relevant there. It really connected. With. I think I think that's definitely part of why it became such a phenomenon. That it was just it was pop culture that felt like yeah felt relevant at the time. Um, yeah, but yeah. At the time, exactly. And it was, you know, don't get me wrong, like, there's lots of, it's very gung-ho and lots of stuff in there politically that I don't agree with, but, like, there was there was something there that connected. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think honestly, I just don't feel like Halo's for me. So I just, I, I've, I felt a bit kicked away from it as, as it's gotten, you know, very much tied up in its own lore and narrative. I just, it wasn't for me. So which version? How about you? Do you still play them? So, well, see, I... I don't know whether what sort of happened with me. I still enjoy Halo for what you said in terms of the the brightly colored. I like mm. that because I'm not a fan. I'm I come from the Nintendo school of thought, which is the I'd rather be playing something that doesn't look any that doesn't resemble anything like my real world, um, and just sort of visually overwhelm myself with bright colors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Halo is like the shooter for me aesthetically. It appeals, mm. and it also appeals to my love of sci-fi. Not like, mm. not like 
but more like the Stargate and the Farscape and the Babylon Five. The literal idea of the world. Yeah, just and the, you know the, the Halo. That, that feels and, like yeah. a game inspired by people who watch those types of shows. Whereas yeah. compared to other sort of shooters like Call of Duty and Battlefield too much resembled in the steeped in the real world setting it has to be realistic mm-hmm. even when you look at like games like advanced warfare and that kind of thing it's all about predicting our future tech which is scary to me and i don't like i don't want yeah. i live in japan right now and you know we have all this sort of north korean business going on and and you and mm-hmm. you you can see it happening in real time people becoming more fearful of something happening which is you know, scary. So when you are playing sure. a game all about killing other people in fantastically techno- tech- like technological ways that are really scary, you think, fuck, one day some crazy man is going to have the power of this technology to be able to do this sort of things. And I, I, I really mm-hmm. would just not think about it. I'd rather not think about it. The gameplay is excellent. Like, I like that. It, the gameplay is great. But Aesthetically, I don't think I can do it. That's why Halo's always done it for me. It's so just unrealistic. And in a way, like, Halo Chief is kind of like Superman. He doesn't die. And he fights for good. Quote, quote, good. And he's unrealistic. He is like a superhero. He's not like a soldier. Like a real soldier. Where it's Yeah, all... he's a costume you put on. Yeah, he's a costume. He's exactly. A, it's not like proxy. the gritty yeah. reality of being a soldier at war. And, uh... So I yeah. So although Halo has sort of moved on and I don't really play it too much now. I think that's because I don't play multiplayer too much anymore because of living in mm-hmm. Japan. All my friends are on an entirely different time zone. Um which mm-hmm. anyone who listens to podcasts regularly knows I complain about time zones all the time. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I feel like I think fondly back to my university days very similar to Halo Reach and that is some of the best multiplayer experiences I've ever had. And that is me and three other friends sitting in front of a HD TV, like one of the very first HD TVs, with it being split into four, playing with other people online, not being able to see like all of the screen and getting our asses handed to us because we couldn't really see anything, but having the time of our lives and just having so much fun. And uh, mm. I do have a very fond memory for it, but I do feel as well that the series has maybe progressed on without me a little bit. But I'm always yeah. interested. Which is fine, right? Some stuff can't be for us. You know, I, I, I see a lot of in nerd culture. Everyone wants everything to be for them. Yeah. And it's okay that stuff is for younger people or, or people who have different tastes. I've definitely like, seen it in video games. I'm cool games. with it. You know. I've de- I definitely think mm. I see it a lot in video games. Like some series that I loved when I was younger just just faded on without me. Uh, they, they, don't, yeah. they don't need to think about me anymore. They, they do their own thing. And I'm it was cool. You do your you do your thing. I'll I'll do my thing. I'll do my thing. You're gonna find that that happens more and more as you age. <laughs> At 31, I definitely feel that's happening. You're still a younger man. You're still a younger man. So well, yeah, but I'm not gonna get to be a part of civilization for much. Well, longer, that's the thing so. is you're gonna you're gonna have it perfect. You're gonna preserve like a little time capsule that's of yourself that's true. and uh, all of these things. So, well, speaking of, I guess it is now time to send you Mm. on your way which is a massive disappointment because i've enjoyed every single minute of this mike it's been a pleasure doing this oh cool um but i do have to say that there is one last question i have to ask you Mm. the last question i have to ask every guest before they leave and that's uh we spoke a lot about 
games today, uh, as we always do on final games. And um, But one of the important things, and I think this is uh, very relevant to the conversation we had about you landing up some Xboxes and having that experience, is consoles and the platforms in which we play games. Now, I know your background, and I, I'm very... I hate giving this question to people who come from a PC-orientated background because the question is, if you could take any console with you, thinking of the back catalog and the system and the controller and all of those wonderful mm. things, uh, what console would you take? But you can't take a PC because you can emulate every everything. everything. So that would be breaking the rules. Um, mm. So as someone who's come from a PC background with lots of PC games mm. on your list, thinking of the console... If you could take a console with you, what console would it be? I think I'm going to take the closest I can get, which is an Xbox 360. <laughs> um, the I think Xbox 360 was, you know, great controller, great catalog. Um, it was just, it was just. I think it is just my favorite console in history. Definitely, I guess the problem is you always want to take the newest thing. So, I'd, like, if I'm going now, I'd like to take the PS4, please. But in terms of the historical perspective, yeah, yeah 360 had. Amazing controller, amazing games. It's just a great, great console. Do I get replacements if it red rings? Yes. Do I get? Yeah. Do you ship me out? Yeah, we'll, we'll okay, make sure. We'll fine. make sure. Yeah. The 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 negative foibles, like my PS4, even my PlayStation 4, um, doesn't boot up every time. It restarts itself every time I turn it on. Um, it powers down and then I have to reset it and then it shows me a bug report every time I open it. Oh wow. And it send it and that happens every single time I power it on. So you know, these consoles do have their foibles. Um but yeah we'll make sure that you have an Xbox three sixty uh for every time it red rings because it's pretty hot over on the Isle of Delphi, you know, I've heard. That's what that's what you need to be careful of. And I'm not gonna have the flood so I can't use like liquid coolant. <laughs> um I don't know if you can hear that, but someone's just started drilling the wall. I can hear that, it. I can hear, hear it a little bit, but that's you trying to get in so you can load me into the boat, <laughs> dude. Right? That's it. The, the team are over. I'm a one man show, oh, no. but I've got a team. It's like it's like when um, debt collectors come to your door, but they come to collect you <laughs> instead. You are the debt. Um, but nice. it's good that they've started drilling now because it is, of course, the end of the show. And Mike, can I just say what a pleasure it's been having you on the show today? You've been an excellent guest, and thank you so much for coming on Final Games. It's been a pleasure, Liam. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So, Mike, please tell the lovely listeners who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet and listen to all your wonderful thoughts on video games and the world, and also of yours, what they should be checking out. Yeah, so um, probably the easiest and most irritating place to hear from me is Twitter. Um, I tweet far too much and a lot of it's nonsense. To the extent now that like I've started t- telling like business contacts, like please just give me an email address. You don't have to keep following me on Twitter. I know I'm boring. Just give me your, your email and I'll chat to you later. Um, so I'm on Twitter. Um, in terms of games, there's uh, Thomas was loading volume, which we, we talked about. Uh, if you're someone who owns um, Google Daydream, we've got we did a project with Google last year yes, called Earth Street, which yeah. you can grab and check out uh which is quite fun um another that, just kind of watch that space the only other thing i'll plug because this is a podcast if you enjoy listening to me talking inane rubbish um of course you can do that on a more regular basis on my podcast we've got the bithel games podcast uh which is me and my business partner alexander just talking about the business of making games talking about how our studio works talking get, trying to you know giving advice to listeners all that kind of stuff um I think that's okay as well. Yeah, you absolutely so, yeah. should. I completely, I, uh, you've done so much. You see, such a such a creative 
collective that you have underneath your belt. Um, I completely forgot about that. It's a podcast <laughs> I listen to quite regularly as well. So, oh, do you? Oh, that's I cool. do. So people seem to listen to it. I, I keep like at events and stuff. People have started coming up yeah. to me and asking me questions about stuff on the podcast. It's weird, isn't it? When people when you realize people actually listen to the thing you put out. Yes, there. it's weird. It's weird when you see the st- yeah. I, I, going divulging a little. It's weird when you get to a point where statistics sort of show you that pretty much at any point you think about it there is possibility that someone is listening to your voice and that that's that's the weird one that gets me Rec- I don't get to, I don't I don't see the statistics for our podcast because Alexander <laughs> deals with all that. You should, but and then I, you'll know too much information. I think it's, too it, much. Information, it gets scary yeah. to think that even when I'm recording this with you right now, the possibility that someone is listening to my voice is very high. Is is uh, it's a scary prospect because <laughs> <laughs> even after I'm dead, that might for maybe at least a year <laughs> carry on well this going. is how people will remember me on the island that's true we'll remember yeah. this will be my last podcast we'll give you a microphone ever. so I don't know why I'm know. plugging all this stuff I don't see, care see I can't trust you to make any more podcast episodes because you'll just be telling Alexander to where you are and how to get off that's it no I'm, I'm done now I'm done don't buy my stuff don't, <laughs> my, my next of kin do not deserve your, uh, your investment yes Okay, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've had so much fun today. Um, Of course, thank you to you for listening to the episode today as well and listening to Final Games. You can, of course, find Final Games on Twitter as well. You can find Final Games at Final Game Show. And, of course, you can find me, who also tweets inane bullshit on Twitter, too, mostly about video games in Japan, at LiamBME. If you listen to the show regularly, why not go on iTunes and rate and review and do all those wonderful things that I'm told really help the show out. It would be fantastic if you did. You can find Final Games on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Acast, and iTunes. So until next time, I hope you have a great week playing all those wonderful video games, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.